0: are you saying episode 229 or am i saying episode two people seem to like how
1: you started the show last week oh they did yeah i sniffed i did (laughs) i'm one of the all-time great show starters it's been said many times so go ahead episode 229 did i already do it yeah you kind of did but welcome to episode 229 episode
0: 229 where there are listeners You're finding new listeners every single day.
1: Every day. Every day. Especially after the issaquah Woodenville 8th grade girls select ETL tournament game. There was a lot there. Yes, there was. was, Say that again slowly. The Issaquah versus Woodenville select girls 8th grade basketball Eastside travel league tournament game. Don't try to say that (laughs) five times fast. You found a listener? Yeah, I was talking to just a dad after the game. We're just talking about
0: the game. Now, this isn't one of the dads that you yell at. That got you in some trouble. Oh, down in Arizona. In
1: Arizona no, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to mess with those guys. Those yeah. guys are big. Okay. Um, so I was talking to a dad. I, you yeah. know, I, Issaquah won an overtime. It was a pretty good game. We're just talking. Yeah. And out of nowhere, he goes, Wait a minute. Is your name Scott? And I go, Yeah. He goes, Wait, from Mitch's, from uh, Unfiltered? Wait a second. So how? Yeah, he recognized my voice after talking to me for like a few minutes. What? Yeah.
0: Your voice? Yeah. I think- had no idea your name. No 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 And clue. you were just some stranger yep. at a basketball game involving high school or middle school girls yep and a guy comes up to you and you're talking to him and by voice
1: we talked for like a few minutes you know not not the, my really? first few words that's yeah. astonishing it is really you've never been recognized by your voice yeah, I guess I have, hmm. but maybe because we were talking sports, I don't, I don't know. know what it was. Something that hit him. That seems very, very random. Well, I think he's a listener, or like a big listener. Okay, because later his daughter a comes P1. up. One. Yes, a P one, as, as yeah. everyone knows. Yeah. Um, his daughter comes up, and she was very nice. You know, she yeah. just lost, probably not trying to talk to anybody. But well, you guys beat the hell out of him. No, it's in overtime. We well, that's why
0: you were friendly. If you would have lost, oh, this I'm in my car. You would have never. We would. I would never, never know <laughs> from him.
1: No, I'd be in my car. <laughs> what are you carrying on about? You're I gotta the, get out of here. You're the guy who's friendly after wins. <laughs> of, of course. Oh, God. totally you're that, that guy. guy? Oh, I'm, I'm in the car before they blow the last whistle. I'm a, <laughs> So his his daughter comes over and goes, "Hey, this oh, is this god. is Scott, this is Scott from the uh, Mitch podcast." You remember her and she rolls her eyes and goes, "Oh my god, you're obsessed with that podcast." Oh. <laughs> Classic, like, 13-year-old, like, <laughs> attitude, you know, just calling out dad. But anyway, I think his name was Barry. I'm, Hi, Barry. I'm, I'm bad with names. Woodenville dad. Obsessed
0: I with the Mitch Unfiltered that, podcast. His daughter.
1: That's what his daughter that said. That would make one. He, <laughs> he may or may not be, but that, that was her, her point of view on we it. We
0: actually got an email about your story in Arizona. Let me see if I can oh, find that. No. One of gonna, the
1: corona dads are going to kick my ass. I, now
0: I'm out of order and all. 229 is off of Schimmel. Uh, Brian Rutherford, nice work, Scott. Hopefully, the headline is intriguing, yet confusing enough to get this read. This is an email that came to Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. I'm a fan of Hotshot, not sure he likes that name, Scott, and busted out laughing when he told his recent softball travel story. Heading to Arizona for baseball this weekend with a number of Bellevue-area teams and can picture the scene vividly in my mind i was lol listening to his retelling of the situation great reminder to keep my mouth shut yeah keep up the good work gents uh
1: brian rutherford i was not proud of my behavior i was <laughs> that would make one of us again i'm more proud of your behavior with the woodenville dad but I mean when you have the, the dulcet tones that I have, I mean you walk noticeable. in here and say hello and I don't recognize it. That's right. Your dog does, but you don't. Yeah, my dog definitely does. Yeah.
0: So it's it's a kind of a random start to episode two twenty nine. I've got a random sports story that no one cares about in our audience, including Barry. Okay. That's just driving me I don't know why. Is there ever like a sports story or a story? That you're convinced nobody else in the world cares about, but for whatever reason, it gets under your
1: skin? Yeah, of course. Has that
0: ever happened? Well, I,
1: I definitely have more pet peeves than most people. I don't
0: even know why I'm starting episode 229 with it, but I am. Okay. There is this guy, basketball player. His name is, let me get his name, Antoine Davis. Okay. He plays guard for Detroit Mercy. Okay. Okay. That's Division One, I'm guessing? Divi- yes, it's okay. Division One. Detroit Mercy. I think it used to be called the University of Detroit. I think it's now called Detroit Mercy. Beautiful. I'm not right. I may not be right about it. Okay. They're 14 and 19 this season. And this guy, Antoine Davis, is in his fifth season and was on the precipice of doing something that nobody has ever done. Okay. Which has become the all time. Well, other people have done it but he had a chance to become the all-time leading career scorer in college basketball impressive history yep and I said to you before we started if you're going to own one record in college basketball one individual record that's not like most national championships but you're going to have one record you would you would want to be the scoring king hard to do better than that and I asked you if you knew who the scoring king was in Mm -hmm. college basketball history and you didn't know pretty good guess though Leitner. Oh, Not bad. Yeah, it was a good guess. Yeah, he's probably holds some
1: records. Played a long time. Longevity records, yeah. Played a long time,
0: yes. This guy, Antoine Davis, played his last game of his career, or so we thought, this past week in their conference, in Detroit Mercy's conference tournament. Fifth year, senior, yep. COVID year, the whole thing. He needed 26 points, I believe, to beat him, to beat the record. And I'll tell you who owns the record in a second. Okay. And he needed 25 points to tie him. Okay. And they're 14 and 19 and not going to any college basketball tournament. Yeah. So this is going to be his last shot. Gotcha. He goes 8 of 25 from the field. And he scores 22 points. Oh, no. He comes up three points shy <laughs> of the all-time college basketball scoring record.
1: Okay. Hell, hell of a season. I mean, hell of a career, not season. Hell of a career. The yeah. guy averaged, listen to
0: this. 25 points per game over his career.
1: Career, right.
0: 25 points per game over his five-year career. Incredible. Incredible. His father is the head coach of the team, and they finish 14 and 19, and he finishes three-point shot. And I believe, based on the record holder, that this was kind of, and I don't get into divine intervention, that somebody upstairs decided, all right, this is crazy that this guy is going to become the all-time leading scorer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's going to go 8 for 25 and come up a little short. Yeah. The problem that I have is now the school is negotiating with a, a tournament a, called the CBI in Daytona.
1: Okay, so there's the NCAA tournament, there's the NIT. And there's, there's a couple more, oh, there and are. then there's the CBI. Okay. <laughs> gotcha, right. <laughs> the East, the ETL the East Travel The CBI I is <laughs>
0: thinking, hey, we can invite Detroit Mercy... To play in our tournament, and we'll get some press. Yeah. This guy's going to break the all-time record for scoring in a career. Sure,
1: good pub for them.
0: They need to come up with thirty-seven thousand five hundred dollars to play to pay to play in the tournament. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> okay. okay, and they're going to do it. All right, they're going to do it. Plus, they have to come up with the expenses—the the money that it costs to be in Daytona for the one game that they're going to be right. in Daytona. Yes, all this is driving me crazy. <laughs> Nobody in the world cares about this except Mitch Unfiltered. So, sorry, Barry. I care
1: about <laughs> it. By the way, it might be Barry. I think it is. I don't know for sure. Guy, okay. guy may be named Barry. Yes. This story is driving me absolutely batty. <laughs> hey. Pistol Pete Maravich. Yeah, pretty good player. Owns the all-time scoring record. It's funny how I wouldn't have probably guessed him in about 20 yeses. You know? He
0: has owned it for 50
1: years. Wow, and he did it at an ACC school. No, he didn't. Oh, well. He did
0: it at LSU.
1: Oh, what did I say? I meant it's, SEC. Yeah, SEC, SEC school. SEC school. Yeah.
0: SEC school. He has owned the record for fifty years. Fifty.
1: It's crazy. Yeah.
0: He played three years. He was not allowed to even play four years. He played three years. He played three years where they played less games per year. He played three years where they had no three-point right. shot and he was a sharpshooter, okay? <laughs> That's crazy, And yeah. he's owned the record for 50 years. Guys have been coming in and playing five years and COVID sure, years yeah, and yeah. three-pointers. monster threes and, all day long, yeah. And the guy still owns the record. <laughs> and yet we're bending over backwards <laughs> so that this record get broken by a yeah. guy playing five years because of COVID with three-pointers at Detroit Mercy, and they're going to pay to play an extra game <laughs> so the guy can beat the record. It's yeah. driving, driving me you nuts. nuts.
1: Yeah. I, don't, yeah,
0: it, I don't even know why. I care. I don't know the Maravich family. He's long gone. He died years ago. Yeah, he died in a pickup game maybe? Yeah, or, yeah. he got had a heart attack. A couple of stats for you. This guy, if they play in this tournament for yep. one game, he'll need three points. Okay. He'll get it. Yeah, he'll get it. He will finish his career And this is not about the guy. He'll finish his career averaging twenty five point four points per game over his career. Pete Maravich averaged forty four (laughs) point two points per game. Average, average. That's a lot of guys high. I mean, like forty four point two points per game. Pete Maravich played in eighty three games. And held the record for 50 years. This guy's game in in Daytona, if they pay to play it, will be game number 145. (laughs) Really? He played in half the games. Wow. With no three-point shot. If you do the math and you allowed Pete Maravich to both play the same amount of games as this Antoine guy and have a three-pointer, he would have scored... (laughs) 6,500 <laughs> points. He'd be 3,000 points ahead of the guy. Right. Literally 3,000 points yeah, ahead of the guy. Yeah. And we're bending over backwards so that this record be broken by a guy at Detroit Mercy right. who played five years with a three-point shot when Pete Maravich played three years. Yeah. He played 83 games.
1: Against like good competition, too. I mean, you know, it's like, yeah. Whatever. Come on. It's driving you. It, in a way, it doesn't feel like they just let the chips fall. Like, oh, uh, he came up short. He didn't, you know. I'm telling you. Chips, they, they, somebody
0: they, upstairs <laughs> decided that that guy was going to score 22 points yeah. in that last game and not catch Pete. Yeah. Somebody upstairs is listening <laughs> to me and knows, okay, and I don't know what this guy is going to what the guy upstairs is going to do to prevent him from playing in Daytona. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What do you do now? What do you do? You you strike him with illness for a
1: day? or yeah. I mean, what if he scores two? Now I have to watch this cockamamie game.
0: If he scores two, you, you then believe in
1: anybody who <laughs> doesn't religion, believe in, huh? <laughs> Okay, if he scores two, if he goes
0: like one for 30 yeah, on the field right, right, and scores right. two, two, points. Yeah. if there was ever 100% certifiable proof <laughs> right. that there is somebody upstairs
1: that's deciding things, right. that's it. Now I got to watch. I got to. Now, is there going to be a like. Is it
0: terrible that I'm so riled up about this? It's not terrible.
1: Is it really breaking his record?
0: We're not breaking Pete Maravich's
1: record. It doesn't feel right. No. Something about it doesn't feel right. 44 a game. And it's crazy. For three years. Average. 44.2 a game. That's I mean, what were with his
2: lies?
0: No it would have been 50 a game. He would have had six threes a game, five threes a game. Yeah, it yeah. would
1: have been fifty a game. He must have had like sixty every once. In a while. I mean, he had to have, Yeah, right? he was the greatest. It's crazy. Why do we have <laughs> to break this record with a five-year guy? The greatest. Not yet. Not yet. I mean, just wait. We got ah. we have a new greatest in the history of college basketball. Uh. But for to me, right, like, I got a, it off my chest. A part of it for me is that he plays at a small school, not playing me, against any. I mean, it's all part of it. But that's doesn't bother me at all. That oh, part really? of it doesn't.
0: That, that if you listed the things about this that bother yeah. me, that would be the very bottom. Really, the very bottom. Yeah, I don't care about the opposition. You kind of should. Though. I don't. I care about the five years and the extra seventy games and the three
1: point yeah. line. Those are all big. Come on. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah.
0: And by the way, interesting side note, Pete Maravich was also coached by his father.
1: He was. Yeah. I, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah isn't that what I mean, oh, he?
0: God. Why the- am I... Why do I care?
1: It's <laughs> a great... But why do we care about any of this? Well, like Seahawks, Maru. who gives Well, a I probably
0: should have done this in a different order, but just hear me out on this. Okay. Put yourself in my shoes. So this has been bothering me. And I knew on Tuesday or whatever day last week that this guy was going to play... For 14 and 18, Detroit Mercy, and he needed 25 to tie, tie and 26 to win. I've known this. Okay. I didn't watch the game, but I, I swear I came home that night and I went right to my phone. I was like, oh, the game was, did he did he break it? And when I saw that he scored 22, I was like, yeah, yeah. the good Lord. <laughs> now, now think about how I felt two days later when I read Detroit Mercy negotiating to play one more game. I'm like, what? What happened to the good Lord? I thought he was good all the way. He turned on me. What the hell? You can't do that.
1: That's crazy. They're
0: adding a freaking game. Yeah. They're paying to add a freaking game. Talk about contrived. Look up contrived in
1: the dictionary. Yeah. Now, is there going to be... driving me nuts. Is there going to be pomp and circumstance? Are they going to stop the game? Probably. And the whole, they should, right? I mean... No, they shouldn't. Well... If it were anyone else, they God. would, right? Yeah, I mean that—that's gonna really bother oh. you when you see it on SportsCenter. Oh. We have a new king, a new scoring champion of all time in college basketball, Christian Leitner? No, he's been some pretty good players throughout uh, college basketball, huh? And it's this guy. Would
0: they have invited if he were alive, Pete Maravich, to hand like to go oh. shake his hand? Can you imagine a guy averaging forty-four right. points shaking the guy that broke his record
1: that averages twenty-five? Yeah, brutal, twenty-five. <laughs> So did he have like a COVID year? Yeah, that's why he got five years. Gosh, it's crazy, and we're gonna celebrate him like he's the greatest basketball player in the history of college basketball. In fact,
0: nobody's gonna know. Nobody even knew that Pete Maravich was the all-time record holder. So. Five years ago, five years from now, even next week, nobody's going to know about this. Yeah, it'll be on Sports Center. Yeah, but I think that this will dissipate, so that's not the real
1: issue for me. It's just, but it would still sting if you had to see that. Talk about the the new king of scoring in Jesus college basketball come history. On. <laughs>
0: People ask all the time, should we put an asterisk next to this record? Have right, yeah, you yeah, heard yeah. that before? Oh, steroid okay. guys,
1: are Barry Bonds. Yeah. If
0: there was ever an asterisk <laughs> that was put
1: next to a record, yeah.
0: there should be 12 asterisks next to this <sighs> record. It's surprising Well,
1: if you're really good in college basketball, typically you leave after a year, right? Right. Or two years. Like Zion would have broken it if he would have stayed four years, probably. I mean, there's, there's guys. No, that, I don't think so. You don't think he would have broken it?
0: He would have had to average. He would have had to average thirty-five, thirty-eight, thirty-nine points a game. Yeah, Yeah. go I guess. back and look yeah. at his. He probably no. It's the reason why it stood
1: for fifty years. Crazy. There's a reason. Yeah.
0: It's a lot of points
1: for. It's. It. Now I gotta watch this game. I gotta watch it. I gotta see. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the game won't happen. Anyway, oh, well, I'm sure. I'm sure the C. What's it? CBI? Is that what it is? CBI. I'm sure they're going to do what they can to make sure people watch their cockamamie. T- Who would ever watch it without Nobody. this? Yeah. I didn't
0: even know that it existed anymore. I knew the CBI. I'd heard the CBI yeah, yeah. years ago, but I didn't even know that it existed. Apparently, it's in Daytona Beach, Florida mm-hmm. now, and they play them all. All the teams have to come to t- Daytona Beach.
1: <laughs> God. I like how things annoy you like this. You got nothing else to do with your day but get pissed off about this stuff. Freaking Pete Maravich. <laughs> right. Right. Oh. Was he a good NBA player a little before yeah. my time? Like yeah. all star? Yeah. He was. Yeah. Super flashy. Yeah, I, I've Could seen make the every highlights. Pass. Yeah.
0: Great in a horse game. They used to have him on the horse competitions. Oh, at I remember
1: that. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Pete unbeatable Man. at horse. Oh, oh unbeatable. Yeah. He'd lie down on his back and do. <laughs> okay, behind the back, between the legs, behind the backboard. Yeah. Oh.
0: He must be turning over in his yeah, grave. it sucks. Mitch Unfiltered is available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe and rate us, please, on Apple. Bonus shows every week. The Mariners' Note Table starts on this show and will be coming to a weekly, Let's go. A weekly patron uh, episode. Uh, become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at $5 a month. MitchUnfiltered.com. If the 5 bucks is a problem, I'll take care of you. Just shoot me a note. Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Not a lot of email to read. Most of it was good, positive emails about our guest, mm. Brandon Thomas, last week. Love that kid. Did you see it? Did I, you hear it? I did,
1: yes. I listened to it. Amazing.
0: I've said before, I don't... And we had the... I think we had the conference right. The, the greater yeah, we Spokane. Did. That's we? right.
1: GSL. Yeah.
0: Did you say we had it right? You or? had it right. Thank you,
1: sir. You, had it right. um, <laughs> <laughs> you want a record? You want an asterisk? Yes, I do. But uh, 18-year-olds, are. they feel much more mature than we were, like... It's like, he's, it's like he's been in the NFL for five years, the way yeah. he speaks. like He just seems more mature, and he's got a worldly view and a great perspective. Well, I think he grow and, up when you go through what sure. he went through. Yeah, but just the way he sounded. How
0: do you become the defensive player of the year in a good conference with a prosthetic leg? It's unbelievable.
1: I don't know. I how do you do that? I, I just, I, I wonder how it's, uh, I don't know. How is it fastened on? Like, what if somebody cut blocks him? Is it yeah. going to pop off? Like, yeah. The whole thing is just, I can't even like fathom it. I can't. It's just it's crazy to think about. And he there's no question that he's gonna play. Like in a, like he's th- like you're gonna bet against him? No. No way. Nobody's right? ever done it though. Nobody's ever done it. Division are, one. No are you gonna bet against him prosthetic. to get in a game at Eastern? No way. We're I'm not, not getting a game. I mean, th- the play, question is yeah. like
0: in a couple of years after they redshirt him, whatever, is he gonna be a starting defensive end yeah. at Eastern Washington? Crazy. I hope
1: so. I can't I'm so rooting for that kid. I told
0: you the personality is gonna jump out uh, jump out of the podcast. It really did. Yeah, didn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's not a lot of a lot of positive emails. Here's one. I read you one. Here's one. Hi, Mitch and Scott. I found your pod about 10 episodes in and have listened to the big program every week. Love it. I'm the only Seahawks fan in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Say hello to, to- hey. Tulsa. Hello. <laughs> uh, it's great to get some Hawks and M's news and your interviews with the seasonal regulars. Terrific. I recently visited family in South King County and decided to go to Zeke's in Tacoma. Oh. It was terrific. Then we stopped by at Fireside Home Solutions to look at the fantastic show. Come on, showroom! Please let John W. know that his sign has a bulb that's burned out. Okay, on it. I love it. I did not go see the Woodenville office of uh, Cross Country Mortgage <laughs> because I I don't go downtown. I didn't go to Daniel's. Yada yada yada. Chucko in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Love you guys. Well, wow, that's nice. We're yeah. huge in Tulsa. And in Woodenville, apparently. That's the, right, yeah. a yep. uh, guests on this episode two hundred and twenty-nine. The Mariners Note Table begins. It's our new thing. We're gonna do it here on the free show, and then it's gonna migrate towards being a weekly show for patrons to replace the Seahawks
1: note table. Until okay? they go until they start the season two and thirty-six. They are not gonna start we, the season uh, two and thirty six. Okay, they're not going to three I'm and
0: thirty-five.
1: Like... <laughs> Potentially, yes. All right.
0: Um, I like these little uh, oddball stories. Guest number two. Let me tell you about guest number two. You may have seen him on the news. Maybe you haven't. You may have seen him on social media. You may have not A year ago, this guy who lives on the Washington side of the Columbia River near Portland. Okay. um, A year ago, he's a big baseball fan. He actually played football at Washington State years ago. Offensive lineman, big guy. He was very distraught when there was that lockout in Major League Baseball. Remember, they started cancelling games at the beginning of the season and pushing games back to start the season last year. Uh He was very upset, and he decided he wanted to do something about it. Okay. And what he decided to do, he got the idea from other people who had done it. He decided that he was going to play catch every single day for 365 days with somebody different. Oh, wow. Typically strangers, although there's been some family members and what have you and people he knows, but typically... He has spent the last 365 days every single day finding a stranger somewhere, playing catch. He brings the ball. He brings the mitt. They they talk back and forth about their stories, what's going on in their lives. And he did this for 365 days. And it ended, well, it didn't end because he's going to continue on. But Uh the 365th day was this past Wednesday. Ah. And he had a special, a very special last 365 catch partner. That's impressive. He didn't miss a day? Did not miss a day. He actually had catch. He played catch with over 550 people over the 360. From delivery people to random people in restaurants that he saw. To a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a 93-year-old woman, people that were sick. Man, he has, what a cool story. He's got a bunch of stories from the year that was, and yeah. it culminated this past Wednesday. A lot of people saw it. It culminated this past Wednesday with a very special catch partner. Well, I can't wait to hear it because I don't know who it was. You don't? Mm-mm. His name is John Sukonic. Okay. And he was uh, he is guest number two on this. He's going to tell all the stories, some, some really fun, clever stories that he has from playing catch for the last 365 days. When was the last time you played catch? Well, I'm going to be playing with John shortly. <laughs> 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 I play catch with my you do? son. Yeah. With I don't that. know if you get out there and. Yeah, I do. Oh, I play do. catch. Okay. I mean, it's been a long time, but not as long as you might think.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then uh, guest number three is a guy named Evan Drellick. He's an author. He's also a senior baseball writer for The Athletic. He's the author of a new book called Winning Fixes Everything. How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. It's the story of the cheating scandal. The inside oh. scoop to the Houston Astros cheating scandal. Banging on the trash cans yeah, yeah. and doing all that they did. Finally, his book is out. He's the one who broke the story. Oh, wow. He broke the story with um, Kenny Rosenthal in The Athletic about the Houston Astros cheating scandal, and now he's written the book that's now out.
1: A lot of allegations. I mean, uh, is that was there really garbage can hitting? And really garbage can
0: hitting. Wow. All true. Amazing. And then some. And, then and more s- teams doing it. Wow, he'll okay. tell you. He'll tell you in segment number three of the interviews. Okay, episode two hundred and twenty-nine doesn't begin without a few words from our partners, of course, like Zeke's Pizza. North to Bellingham, coming to Portland this year. So south to Portland, east to Idaho. Mark Few has been enjoying the Spokane location. I hear revamping the app so that ordering Zeke's to your door is easier than ever. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat. Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor for virtually every fun contest and promotion that we run, beat the boys during the NFL season. We have our master's pool coming up. Start your search for a brand new fireplace unit at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. You will hear on this show that Jordan Flowers' team did a mortgage last week starting in the threes. He'll explain if you're buying a home, a second home, an investment piece, Jordan's team has creative packages to save you money. 425 890 2957. Daniel's Broiler, four locations all open and ready to host your special occasion. Bellevue Place is the one that we most often frequent, Less Shy the Original, South Lake Union, and the spectacular location at the Hyatt Downtown Regency in Seattle. You gotta love Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses, an Evergreen golf call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Episode 229, Mitch Unfiltered, begins right now
3: unfiltered
0: I don't think Jody Allen is talking to The Athletic or talking to Mike Sandoz so who is it, do we trust the story do we feel like it's true or do we trust Russell Wilson who says it's a made up story I, I I would never ask for those guys to be fired
3: ever unfiltered
0: at some point doesn't a guy like John Elway say "All right"? given one player his own office and then putting it on the second floor with the team executives that's going to create some problems in the locker room for us it's going to remove him from his brethren from his teammates Mitch is unfiltered okay episode 229
1: Yes. Now officially underway. Oh, the best show on TV, 229. I don't know if you saw it or not. One of the great 227.
0: About. I've watched, I've been binge watching.
1: <laughs> you definitely have not been binge watching. We are still in on Poker Face. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm about five, six episodes in. Do you feel like you're liking it, <clears throat> excuse me, more after the first two episodes when it's less about the Vegas and. No. Just the random kind of alone? No, no. You like it the same? I
0: think what I really like about it are the cameos that are in it. How many episodes have you watched? I think I'm through nine. I think they've had nine, maybe. I just watched one with Ellen Barkin in it. In it. Yeah. And Tim Meadows from Saturday yeah, Night Tim Live. Yeah, Tim Meadows
1: was really good, yeah. They have
0: these crazy, they have these really interesting, um, Judith Light from Who's Who's the Boss? Oh, yeah, that's right. Judith Light. Yeah. Yeah, I like the cameo. It's bringing yeah. me back to my path.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a kind of a, yeah, it's a cool mix of characters that they've yes. got. Did you like the the barbecue one? I liked it. Yeah, you told me to look out for it, so I did. I liked I it. I thought that was really good. Yeah, yeah, they're good. And I like the one with the two actors, the, the Tim Meadows one, right? It wasn't, yeah, the Tim Meadows and I Ellen Barkin. That, yeah, that was. I thought that was top notch. I really liked. I've that always one. been a big Ellen Barkin fan. Yeah, you know I mean.
0: Ellen Barkin, right? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Sure.
1: Yeah. Well, good. i glad. Real quick, I just watched the movie called Megan. Yeah. About the little
0: doll. Yeah, I'm not going to watch that. I've seen the pre. Is that on TV already? I thought it's in the theater. It's on.
1: Well, it probably Both. is, but it's on Peacock. Oh. As a matter of fact. Yeah. No, I don't want to watch that. Awesome. I loved it. But again, it's kind of a scary, horror-ish type movie. So if you don't like those, you're not going to like it.
0: You know where I was on the night before we recorded this? Hmm. I was at the 4A state title game in the Tacoma Were Dome. Oh really? I was. Well, I
1: pay for the uh, NFHS. So now, do whatever, I.
0: So I <laughs> watched the semifinals on on Friday night, and then I went to the finals. I was a little disappointed because I really wanted to see Tacoma Curtis play Mount Si, which I believe is the rematch of last year's Four a state title game. I may
1: be wrong about that. Mount Si was in it. I mean, I know that. I don't know if they won it the No, Curtis year. won it. Oh, they did, okay. Curtis repeated last night. Oh, okay. Well, then it was Mount Si. Yeah. I, yeah.
0: And Mount Si lost. They disappointed me. They lost on uh. Friday night. So they weren't in the final. So I watched Curtis play against Olympia High School for the title at the Tacoma Dome. I wanted to see Curtis play. I don't know if you've heard about this guy. This junior, uh-uh. Brett's class, class of 2024, Zoom his, la- his first name is Zoom. Zoom Diallo.
1: Let me guess. He's really quick and really fast.
0: He's a 6'4 or 6'5 point guard for Curtis, who has been ranked as the ninth in certain places, the ninth best player in the class of 2024, wow. and can go just about anywhere he wants to go. Wow. So I got a chance to see him up close and personal. And? They won, and he was fantastic.
1: Is he? Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Everything he's?
0: He's fantastic, yeah. I'm a little concerned he might be going to a place in eastern Washington. I don't want that. Well, why would he go there? If You said he could pretty much go anywhere he wants. Oh, there's two. I don't know which one in eastern Washington yeah. you're thinking of. I was but just the going to. No, not, I'm not I talking about say, that one. Yeah. No, oh, Talk about the other one. See,
1: I try to block them out of my, yes. my brain that they're in there's this There's another state.
0: one in eastern Washington yeah. where a lot of guys go to instead of going to Duke and North Carolina. True. And it's driving me crazy. Not as much as Pete Maravich, but it's driving me crazy. <laughs> so I'm hoping Zoom. I tried to get to him after the game. And warn him about all the ills over yeah, there. right. <laughs> you don't want the weasel. I know. Our but uh, he's still got another year left, so he's going to come back and probably win nice. it maybe three years in a row, win the state title. We've got a hell of a cat and mouse game going on. oh This week is a big week in Seattle Seahawks land. Did you know that? Geno Smith and the Seahawks, they're at the Combine as we speak. Right, and, yeah, yeah. And everything's going on there in Indianapolis, and all of a sudden John Schneider is telling us Pete Carroll and John Schneider are now telling us what they're thinking for the fifth pick overall in the NFL draft. I'm getting a kick out of that. Yeah, They're looking at quarterbacks very seriously. All all of a
1: sudden they're now telling us what they're going to (laughs) do. That's what they typically do, right? When they decide who they're going to draft, they they make sure they run it by the fans first.
0: So kind of John Schneider to turn over a new leaf and and include us in exactly what they're thinking heading into that fifth overall pick. That's very very nice of them. (laughs) Because quarterbacks don't don't Grow on trees, you know.
1: Oh, is that right? They, yeah, that's what they say. Oh, they don't. Oh, okay. they don't I grow on trees. So we've
0: got to really explore. We're really looking <laughs> oh hard at these quarterbacks <laughs> yeah. for the fifth overall pick.
1: Does he think he's smarter than everybody or that it, 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 they it, all do this? But yeah, come on, it's almost offensive in a way. It too. is
0: offensive, it is right. It's, We're, it's totally demeaning. Yeah, or <laughs> all it's that dumb. It's totally like, okay, <laughs> do you take me to be a freaking idiot? Right, but they do it. And right. He did it. He clearly, I think, wants somebody to think oh my god the seahawks might draft a quarterback at five we better trade up either with them or with somebody in front of them yeah to be able to get our quarterback so that they don't take them and then oh by the way one of those defensive guys drops down to the seahawks (laughs) at number five right gino is unsigned right tuesday the day after this is released so tomorrow when people are listening on monday um is the tag deadline Oh, the it franchise is. franchise tag oh, deadline. Oh,
1: okay. I didn't know that.
0: You have until Tuesday to franchise tag one person on your team. Okay. So they conceivably could tag Geno Smith before Tuesday. And what that would mean is they would be guaranteeing him a one-year contract of $32,416,000. It's good work if you can find it. But then he really couldn't go anywhere else. It would take... Somebody else giving him a mega deal and giving the Seahawks two first-round draft which doesn't happen. Right. You franchise him, you pretty much guarantee, you pretty much lock him up. Yeah. He has to play for the Seahawks next year on this deal or a deal that they negotiate that's long-term. They could do that. Okay. That's their leverage. Yeah. The problem that they have is they have a history of not doing that. How many times, Stump the Band, have the Seahawks franchised a player in the John Schneider, Pete Carroll era of whatever it is, 11 years, 12 years, how long have they been together? Long time. Wow. No clue. How often have they actually put the franchise tag on the player and who did they do?
1: I'm sure there are some. I just I can't think of them. Dose. That's right. Two? Two
0: times in, in their entire... Wow. They're allowed to do it once every year. Yeah. You'd think they would do it every year. They've done it twice huh. ever. They don't like doing the franchise tag. And the two people that they did, <laughs> Frank Clark... Yeah. Who they traded. They franchised him to trade him. Right. So they really didn't even franchise him. So now we're down to one. Right. And the one, of course, who would ever forget? Alinda Mare.
1: <laughs> that was my third guess. Damn it. We would have got there eventually. Syracuse kicker. <laughs> oh, is that right? Alinda yeah. Mare, Dolphin too, maybe? Dolphin of course. Yeah, there you go. Oh, you must love him. He's really the only guy that going to franchise him. <laughs> Very worth it. Was he the one who the coach said, like... Jim Mora. Is that the is that the We lost the game because some kicker can't go out and kick yeah, a field yeah. goal. goal. <laughs> Put it all on the kicker. Like, okay, I, I thought that was him. Playing the kicker, yeah. Alinda Mare.
0: Alinda Mare. Alinda yeah, Mare, yeah. in the true sense of the word, is the <laughs> only guy. Jesus. So do you think that Gino is sitting there sweating the franchise tag or not? No,
3: I
1: don't think so. No. So what's the latest? I mean, what's what do you think is gonna happen? I don't know
0: what's gonna happen. I don't have any inside intel. I can tell you what it looks like. My guess is they're negotiating a deal still with Gino's people. Gino has to figure out what's out there. Now, he's not allowed officially to know that until March 15th, which is a week from now. That's when free agent starts. Actually, March 13th, I've been told you're allowed to actually talk with other teams legally. All right. But you can't sign anything until March 15th when the free agency opens. Okay. But... You know how it works. They go to the combines and there are ways to find out what's out there for my client right. to get a sense of what the market is for Gino. It's a guess, but my guess is that the Seahawks will not place the franchise tag on him, hmm. which then will give them seven days to do a deal before he hits free agency, before he can talk to other teams. And I don't know, I'm getting the feeling that the Seahawks don't want to give him 35 million dollars a year. They probably don't even want to give him 30 to 35 million dollars a year and they're willing to roll the dice because they probably feel like no one's going to give him 35 million a year. Yeah. And if that's what he wants from us right now in a long-term deal, we're going to pause on that. We're not going to do that. We're going to actually let him find out what we think is his market, which is under thirty million, a
1: year. and he'll come back to his parents' house at some point. To correct, m- move back in. Correct, yeah,
0: correct. And then we can sign him. This is them talking, not me. Yeah. Then we can sign him at. You know, three years, $90 years. Still give him a good deal. Right, yeah, Still give him the best deal that he can get anywhere. Still make him a very, very wealthy guy. Still give him guaranteed money and signing bonuses. I mean, we're not trying to piss him off. Right. We don't want him to come back and be pissed off signing a contract. We just believe, this is what I think is happening, we just believe that the market out there for him is not going to be what he wants it to be. And so what we're presenting in the way of an offer, they're probably presenting it right now. They're yeah. probably saying, hey, we'll give you three years 90 right now. And he's probably saying, ah, I might be able to get more. I think I should get more. Yeah. And they may be just willing to say, okay, go see if you can get more. And then please come back to us.
1: Yeah.
0: And so, that, and that's, I think, the way it's going to play out.
1: If he gets three years 120 from someone, then the Seahawks are like, hey, great, go make your money. Oh, no. Good. I don't, yeah, That's a good question. Good to know you hard to believe he's going to get 3 years 120 okay. million. I think that's kind of a don't get caught up in the number. Just okay. if he gets more somewhere, are the Seahawks like, "Shit, that didn't work." Are they like, "No, good good for him. Go." We're No, I think at that point if it's a, if it's not
0: 40 million a year, if it's just a little bit more, yeah. then they say, "Hey, would you like to come back and be with us? We'll give you that contract."
1: Mm, okay. We'll
0: give you that same contract that, or do you want to go face a new system? New coaching staff, right. new wide receivers, everything is new. Go ahead. We wish you all the best or come back and we'll give you that, that same number. It's probably what happens.
1: Not at $40 million, but right. whatever the if number is. If cl- they can sort of get close to it. yeah, It's a bit of a gamble on yeah. the Seahawks part. Yeah. yeah.
0: So that's my projection. And I could be completely wrong. Tomorrow they franchise them and <laughs> everybody's saying, why don't we listen to Mitch Unfiltered?
1: But – well, I was just curious what you thought more come than on. a prediction. Are they
0: gonna, it's going to be Olinda Mare and Geno Smith. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> is that going to be the list? Yes, it might like be. Frank Clark. I mean, 30, what, what would he get, 32 if they franchise him? Well, he gets 32416000 for next year and only a one-year deal one year unless deal, yeah. they do a new big deal that changes that.
1: And didn't you say he's the number one free agent quarterback out there? Did didn't PFF uh, come out with that maybe? Yeah, I or? think he is. I think he is. Maybe there's a chance somebody could, I mean, we've seen worse quarterbacks get paid, you know, yes. worse quarterbacks than him. There's just this kind of universal opinion that the
0: teams around the NFL, and it only takes one, as you just pointed out, only takes one. Yeah, that's right. But there's this kind of opinion out there that teams think, oh, he's more valuable for them. Right. And I, I get that. He works in Seattle. Yeah. He's had a a nothing career for 10 or 11 years. He's had one good season. Yeah. He had it for them. Are we really going to give this guy three years, 35 or 40 million to come here off of one good year that he had in Seattle with those guys? Yeah. There's just this kind of consensus that other teams think, ah, he's a good fit in Seattle. Probably not the best of fits
1: here. And by the way, it hasn't been a great track record the past year of getting quarterbacks out of Seattle and paying them a ton of money. I wonder if Russell Wilson's performance is going to somehow hurt Gino on the open market. Like, holy shit, look what the Broncos did. We got We're not doing that. We got we to gotta stay away from that. I don't
0: know. Well, one of the huge reasons why you don't franchise a guy is because it takes up your salary cap, right? You know that. Yeah. A franchise tag, if you don't end up doing another deal that becomes cap friendly and you go to the gate, you go to the season with Geno on a one-year $32 million contract means he counts $32 million against your cap next year. Right. You don't want that. Because the deal that you do, even if you pay him $32 million, you'll do it in such a way that it's spread out over years and his co- and his cap hit will be much less than that. So that's another reason why you want a franchise tag. And when you think about the Seattle Seahawks' cap situation, it's interesting. They are one of the top 10 teams in terms of the amount of cap money to spend in free agency this year. Huh. They have currently $24 million. Which places them in the top ten. Okay. If they're willing to c- cut Gabe Jackson, who's their their guard, mm-hmm. kind of veteran guard, and they've got other guys, they're willing to cut him. They save six and a half million more against the cap. And then one of the guys they got from Denver, one of the defensive tackles named Shelby Harris, that they got, it was pretty good but yeah. not great. If you cut him, you're willing to cut him. You save eight point nine million. So there's fifteen point four more million. On top of the 24, you're at $40 million, hmm. and you were already in the top 10. Now you're one of the top teams in terms of yeah. available free agent dollars to spend on new players. So do you want to then take $32 million of your forty of your 49 or right. your $39 million and give it to one guy, Geno? No. Another reason why I can't imagine that they're going to franchise tag him before tomorrow
1: famous last words. <laughs> but you're right though. I mean tying all that money up in Gino 32 out of 40 if they cut those other two guys. Yeah, that that doesn't seem like something that they would want to do at this <laughs> of point. Of course
0: they would be thinking, we won't be doing that. We're going to do it now, but ultimately before opening before we get too far along the line, we'll do a new deal with him and we'll tear up the tender. We'll tear up the one year 32 million and we'll do it that's probably what they'd be thinking if they but Frank Clark and a Lindo Mari. Yeah, right. I'll just keep coming back to yeah, that.
1: Not happening. No. I don't think so. Doesn't sound like it. I don't think so. What What would you want? Like, if what if you could have, like, the ultimate situation, what would you want them to do? I'd like to see them
0: sign Geno at a, you know, at a two- or three-year contract. 32-ish? Lower. Okay. 30. Lower. I'd like to get him at 27, 28 average salary. And then let him play maybe draft a quarterback maybe not maybe not with the 5th overall pick but maybe down the line maybe with 20 or somebody else yeah groom somebody and let Gino play the next couple of years year or or two
1: i know players don't think this way which is why they're in the nfl but if if i'm gino i'm like look i i've had one good year really one good year where i was the starter and someone's going to throw 28 million dollars at me for the next 3 years what is he 32 so at 33 34 and 35 I'm gonna make just around 30 million a year 90 million over okay. those three years just those three years alone 90 million I don't know what else he th- thinks he can get out there that's that's good money he should be jumping at that like now
0: well unless his agent says hold on that's gonna be there for us next week
1: yeah let's see
4: it's
1: crazy I mean yeah he's had one good year one good year Yeah. and people are ready to throw that kind of money at him people. Well, more than the Seahawks, I'm guessing. You sure?
0: The Seahawks aren't sure.
1: <laughs> Maybe the Seahawks aren't even willing to...
0: <laughs> the Seahawks aren't sure anybody else is willing to throw that. That's yeah. the whole part of the issue. Right. That's why it probably hasn't been done by now. Yeah. Seahawks are saying, wait a second, we're negotiating against ourselves here. Yeah. We don't want to negotiate against ourselves. We want to know that there's somebody out there that we got to worry about. Yeah. And they're doing their due diligence, just like Gino at the Combine is. They're finding out anybody going to... They're sniffing around... Anybody gonna gonna pay this guy thirty million a year, and they're they're getting an answer, what they think is an intelligent answer. That's that's where we are. I hope it's done before the when's the draft? April? Oh, it'll be done before the draft. Okay, well, if we're talking somewhere to... here or somewhere else. Oh, we'll, it'll definitely we'll be done. know for sure. Before we'll know the draft. for sure where he's playing next year okay. before the draft. All right, because that would be the world's worst situation for Geno. Right. The last thing you want to do is be a free agent while teams are drafting quarterbacks. Yeah, right. You yeah. know, all of a sudden the Seahawks decide, oh, they love Bryce Young, they're going to bring him They're going to bring them in now. All of a sudden, my twenty-eight million a year for the next three years that you were just talking about, hotshot, yeah. that's a lot of money, is not even available to me anymore. Yeah, right. No, no, it'll be done okay. somewhere before the draft.
1: What that about can... Jalen Carter? I know off the top, of but speaking of the draft, oh my god, what's going on with Jalen he Carter? He was in my other
0: stuff segment. Yeah, yeah, but
1: we're talking about the draft, and was he a top? Was he one of the top five? Yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. He was one of the guys we've been talking about
0: all year about being looking good in a Seahawks uniform. He's a destructive defensive tackle. I don't know how all of this is going to shake out. Yeah. I tend to think it's not going to impact his draft position. Okay. But I don't know. What do you think? Should it? Would you be concerned if, you know, he's, he's being charged with a couple of misdemeanors he was involved in a car racing issue where the other car crashed and two lives were yeah. lost. Um, yeah, he's going to face charges. Do you believe that that should – I mean, would you now say, oh, my God, he's got a history of driving really fast. I'm not drafting him with the third overall pick because I'm afraid he'll come here and he'll he'll get in trouble. Are you worried about that?
1: After Malik Dowell on the ATV – was that his name, Malik Dowell? Malik McDowell. McDowell, yeah. Yes. I might think about it a little bit. I don't know. I might think about it a little more than I, I would have had I not known about any of this. I mean, that's pretty reckless to be out there racing. I mean, no question about I, it. Look, who am I? I know I've done it. I mean, he's a young guy, and he's got a car that has 700 horsepower. I get it. But, man, you got a lot to think about. You have a lot on the line. Is, you know, So I would think a little bit harder about now remember, potentially drafting him. Remember,
0: if you're putting yourself in their shoes or somebody's shoes— there have been people that have said that this guy's the number one pick in the draft, that he should be the number one pick wow. in the draft. So whoever's going to be drafting him at one, two, three, or four is convinced this is a wrecking ball. We're going to put this guy in our defensive line and everything is going to be... He's going to change everything. Yeah. So you're in love with this guy. Now ask yourself the question. You're in love with him as a football player. Yeah. Teams that are in love with guys as football players or athletes tend to rationalize... You might say, well, he didn't beat up his girlfriend. He didn't kill anybody. It's a misdemeanor. He was out driving fast. I mean, there's a lot of ways to rationalize that this isn't so bad. (laughs) If you're in love with this guy as a potential all pro for the next 10 years, that could be on your team. Yeah, you're right. It's going to be hard to then say, okay, I'm not going to take that guy who I'm in love with because he was going 105 miles an hour and – and someone the, died. Two people died. Two people died, yeah. Two people died in yeah. another car and he was being stupid Ugh. and he made some terrible mistakes. Are you willing to let him go to the next team behind you?
1: Right, because the that. next the next team behind you won't be thinking what you're thinking, most likely. They're gonna jump at it and they're gonna take him. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's tough. He probably you're probably right. He probably won't fall. Probably, I don't think be he's gonna top fall. Five pick still, yeah. I don't
0: think he's gonna fall.
1: All right. Three interviews, good ones, and then
0: the other stuff segment, episode two twenty nine. My man, J Flow, Jordan Flowers, he runs the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. He's a jet setter too. Legoland with the family. A Cavaliers game in Cleveland with Cross Country Mortgage. I hope you don't forget your mediocre friends. Here in Seattle, Jordan.
4: Never, never. <laughs> All the jet setting, it's just puffery, Mitch. Just puffery.
0: Oh, very good, Jordan. <laughs> very good. Danny O'Neill will be very impressed. Good time to be a buyer in the Pacific Northwest. True or false?
4: Absolutely true. Great time to be a buyer right now. Uh, Buyers are not having to get into a lot of multiple offer situations and escalate like they were a year ago. They're coming to reasonable agreements with sellers, not having to waive all their conditions just to get considered. And they're able to get a lot of credits to help pay for closing costs or even take advantage of helping buy that rate down.
0: And last week, I understand you locked in a buyer with an interest rate, at least at the outset in the threes. People listening to this are gonna say that's not humanly possible. True or false, Jordan Flowers and how?
4: True. So as referenced in the past, we are taking advantage of these temporary buy downs in the market. What we're doing is taking that seller credit and getting enough to offer the ability to temporarily buy down an interest rate from, say, the start rates are in the mid sixes, upper sixes, and get them starting at 3% the first year and elevates to four and then five and then the note rate. But within those first year or two with rates will come down, they then can refinance into that long-term secured fixed rate. All right,
0: so what am I paying attention to if I'm a buyer or seller? What numbers as they come out over the next week's? and months.
4: Yeah, uh, two key markers to be watching is the CPI numbers coming out because the last year's CPI number will fall off, which it was a monster in March last year. If we get a lower reading this year, that will then be indicating inflation is coming down, which will be great for long-term mortgage-backed securities. And then keep an eye on the 10-year treasury. If we can get that 10-year treasury number down to about 3.2, 325 It's going to be an excellent time for anybody that has purchased in the last year to look to refinance and lower that interest rate as well.
0: And if you're looking to refinance, if you're looking to lower that interest rate as well, as he says, you're going to call first Jordan Flowers and his team at Cross Country Mortgage phone number
4: 425-890-2957.
0: Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great, great partner of Mitch Unfiltered.
3: Unfiltered.
4: This one to left, and deep, half to the wall, and gone. It looked like he got that off the end of the back. He did. <laughs> this one pumped deep to left center, Bellinger and this one will float halfway up the burn for the second home run in a row for the uh, Mariners. We call that back-to-back.
0: I'm very excited about this new and next segment on Mitch Unfiltered, episode 229. The start of something that will evolve and grow over the next six months. The Mariners no table. Back is Jason Churchill, prospect insider on Twitter, and the host of the podcast, Baseball Things. He's crazy enough to have agreed to come back to Mitch Unfiltered, and he's brought with him the new guy, Prospects Guru, the Overslot podcast. I hope I have that right. Joe Doyle, M-I-L-B on Twitter. Joe, Jolton Joe Doyle, church... Give us the uh, the proper introduction because you know Joe and I don't know Joe.
5: Yeah, so here's what I would do. If you want to get to know Joe, just rib him as much as you possibly can. <laughs> just like it comes out of nowhere, absolute nowhere, and just like rip on him for like no reason. That's the best way. To get to know Joe, whether it's you, Mitch, or, or the folks listening, that's just find him on – he loves that. Find him on Twitter. If you see him at a game, bug the daylights out of him. Do not let him watch the game. That's how you get to know Joe Doyle.
0: Why do I feel like I'm crashing the party, Doyle? between jason and joe how far do you guys go back how well do you know each other for
6: god's sake let's see so jason and i go back on twitter about 10 years multiple blocks uh (laughs) multiple unblocks and we've been podcasting together for about uh two two and a half years now but thank you so much for the jolton joe introduction most people go with the old ball player slow joe doyle which really kind of better reflects my mental state
0: All right, I don't think that the listeners want to hear us just talk about amongst ourselves about the personalities of the, the people on the note table, but thank you, guys. Thank you for being generous with your time and being willing to put up with us on the Mariners note table. I think a, an appropriate place to start, Jason, would be just an overview, just kind of where we are, the off-season, the start of spring, the organization, just the feel of where the Mariners are, as an organization is right now for you, Jason, and then we'll go to Joe.
5: Yeah, this one's fun for me because I'm able to block out the disappointment of the offseason. I think everybody went into the offseason, maybe everybody except for the Jerry DePoto's and the Justin Hollanders of the world, expecting the Maris to do more than, than they did. So th- there's certainly disappointment there, and I get that. But for me, I look back at where they were a year ago compared to where they are now. And this is a markedly better baseball team. It is a higher floor. It's a higher ceiling. You get guys like Cal Raleigh and George Kirby and Julio in their second full seasons at the big league level. And there really isn't a such thing as a sophomore slump anymore. So you expect those guys to be at least about as good. Not that they can't take a step back. I'm jacked to see what those guys can do. And then you go out and add a guy like Luis Castillo in August. That's essentially an off- season acquisition when you're comparing this team where they are right now versus a year ago when the season broke in in the first week of April. Uh, if you're not excited about this baseball team, you can't come to my birthday party. I mean, that's just kind of how I look at this. You are not invited. You are Debbie uh, Downer, get out of here with that. I'm I'm into this team as much as I've ever been into this team and I'm an older guy, Mitch. I've been around. No, I saw the no, I saw the not. early 90s teams. I saw the 95 team, no, the not. the 2000, 2001 team right in my wheelhouse. I've seen every decent team and this team is as exciting as any of them. Joe, before we get
0: to you, we have some rules on Mitch unfiltered. You can't use the words floor <laughs> and ceiling without without actually defining what the floor and ce- I mean you can do that with Sandmeyer, but you can't do that with Mitch. So, he's no, already we five. have to explain
5: that to Sandmeyer too. Bruce. Okay, all right.
0: So, <laughs> well, I, I floor you can't just float out Oh, they have such a higher, much higher than a year ago, Florence. Define them. What's the floor in your estimation of this team? And what's the ceiling of this team, Jason?
5: I think when we entered last year, it was like, can they win 85 games? And if things break right, can they get to 88, 89 and compete? And that's kind of what happened at the end of the day. So for me, when I think of the floor of a team, like a, a barring disaster. Yes. Like a, what's what's the worst that can really happen this year? and they're probably right there in that yeah they're probably right there in that 85 win range again missing the playoffs missing the playoffs by a miss couple the, of games certainly could miss the playoffs i think that has as much or more to do with what other clubs did versus what Seattle didn't. I think the angels got better the Rangers got better. Houston probably didn't get better, but they're still going to be there as a 95 plus one team. So your division is still tough, but you're going to play more outside your division this year as well. So I think that actually helps Seattle and the travel is down and things like that. So when I think of floor, it's essentially the 85. worst realistic right around 85. I even think maybe 86, 87. I'd be surprised if they, they won okay. an 85 games. ceiling ceiling is about what's the best they can do. Can they win Again, the world championship? again barring additions to the team that we don't know about and 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 the luck of the injury that, that that they actually benefited from i think a year ago uh what is that ceiling? i think the ceiling's probably around 95 wins and yeah i think they have a, a pretty decent chance when you look at the american league to be there in the lcs and maybe get to the world series i don't think the playoffs are a crapshoot i think people say that i could not disagree with that more i think if you have pitching and impact players and you're going up against the, the Yankees and the Astros of the world, you have a shot. If you don't have those players, you're going to be the Cleveland Guardians or the Minnesota Twins in past years. Seattle has a few of those guys. They have the Castillos and the Robbie Rays and some of the young guys. Certainly Julio is in that air. They're a little short, I think, offensively, but I think the ceiling is 95 wins. And, it, and, and maybe... Ceiling, Yeah, the World Series is a ceiling right now.
0: Jason, you know what Joe is saying to himself right now? He's saying, these guys invited me on so that I could just listen to these guys talk? I was, do, I, <laughs> do, do I get an opportunity here at some point? Joe, where are the Mariners as an organization right now? And do you agree or disagree with the floor and ceiling that Jason defines? And just remember, for podcast purposes... Always more fun if you disagree than if you agree.
6: Go. Well, for real life purposes, I would hardly ever agree with Jason <laughs> A. Churchill. So. Uh, this is a good rule. No, no. Yeah, this is a good rule to live by. Now, if we're talking floor, I think he kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, even if worst case scenario, doomsday, you lose your star center fielder, Julio, you still have one of the better rotations that can buoy your team throughout the entirety of the season. And in terms of the ceiling, you know, I think it could be a little bit higher if they get a little if they get a little crazy at the trade deadline. You know, I think you could see 96, 97, even 98 wins, especially if these starting pitchers really take that next step. Um, but the the narrative for me this season, and frankly, as I look forward the next five or six years, is opportunity. This team is being built to to last and survive and not be um you know held down by big albatross contracts that takes away their flexibility at the trade deadline and, and free agent periods. So Depending on where Seattle is, you know, if they're a 500 team and they need to improve little by little here and there, they can do that. They've got the farm system to do that. If they are a world beating team and they look like they're going to be a World Series contender in July, they can go get that impact Brian Reynolds acquisition with, with the pieces that they've got as well. And then you kind of wrap all of that together with where their farm system currently sits and wh- how well they're positioned in the MLB draft. This team is, is set to compete for the next six or seven years as long as the team doesn't make a mistake in, in sending tons of money out to one big player. And I think Jerry has navigated that well. Joe, uh, you just talked about the
0: farm system. Is it fair for many of us to say that their best prospects right now are lower level guys as opposed to higher guys, higher level guys that'll be here soon? And how how do you distinguish it being a healthy farm system? I know they have three of the top, what, 30 picks and the upcoming Major League Baseball draft, I guess that's in June. Tell us why that's the case and kind of answer the overall
5: question.
6: Yeah, so the overall question in terms of the health of the farm system, the narrative is starting to change a little bit about these guys being closer to the system than further away. Last year it was, well, they're all teenagers. We're not going to see these guys for quite some time. You know, a guy like Bryce Miller He's my top prospect in the organization, and he is getting closer and closer to making his debut with the team. I don't think it would surprise anyone. Who is so he Bryce Miller better than Harry Ford? For me, he is more impactful right now. He's got one of the best fastballs you're going to see in the minor leagues. Right handed pitcher, six foot two, six foot three, kind of long and limmy, uh, very lean like George Kirby was when he came up. Uh, But he's going to be a guy that rushes it up there 97 to 99 when he's at his best. And when he settles into long innings, he's going to be 95 to 97. He's got a a sweeping slider and he's got a decent split finger that can get guys out when he needs to go to it against left-handed pitching. Uh, He's going to be an impact arm for this team. And I think he could be available as soon as May 1st. But then as you kind of go down the list, you're going to find more and more teenagers. But I think the important thing for where Seattle is at in their organizational window so much of their reinforcements, pitchers, that they're going to need throughout the entirety of the season are almost available. I mentioned Miller. Emerson Hancock was the team's first round pick in 2020. He's going to be ready by June 1st. And then you go down the list. You got guys like Brian Wu, who was a later round pick in 2021. He throws 99. Prelander Baroa is a is a is a reliever that throws 100. He's going to be available right away. Wow. So you do have the reinforcements at the, at the positions that you need to really substantiate a long run and and buoy this team. Is Miller ultimately a starter? I think he is. Personally, his his trajectory with his command and his ability to throw three pitches has taken a step forward every single year. It's a clean, repeatable delivery. And I think the stuff is good enough to get through a lineup two times. So if you're asking a guy to go through five innings, I think Bryce Miller can do it.
0: Okay, Jason Churchill, Prospect Insider. Let's assume you are... Uh, you're Ryan Divish. You're the writer of the Seattle Times. Oh, boy. And, and, you're, uh, and your boss comes to you and says, I want you to write a column on the most interesting two storylines from a roster perspective of the Seattle Mariners as they enter the, the second and third week of spring ball, of spring training. What are those two most interesting roster Storylines that are happening right now.
5: I think for me, number one is what happens with the designated hitter spot, and that doesn't mean do they have a DH. It's how are they going to handle that? Who is that hitter? Because right now, as you project forward, this is an outfield of Kelnick and left, Julio and center, and Teoscar Hernandez in right field, and that means AJ Pollock is your best bet to DH, whether it's versus lefties or righty. So how are they going to how are they going to be able to maneuver that around? and produce some advantages, some split advantages, some matchup advantages. The idea was that Tommy Lestella was going to come in and get some of those at bats. He hasn't played so far. He's a week and a half away from playing in games. I don't know how that's going to work out. It doesn't seem to me like he's going to be ready for opening day. So I'm I'm really curious to see how they kind of go about that. Do they go out on the waiver wire? Do they sign one of the veteran free agents like a Mike Moustakis and give him a chance? Is it Cole Calhoun who's already in camp? Is it Colin Moran who's already in camp? Okay. Or is it Cooper Hummel? Like To me, like you see a guy like Cooper Hummel, you've seen what he can do. He's a switch hitter. Maybe he can create some advantages there. you don't otherwise have. The second thing for me is how many of these kids have a legitimate chance to make this club? And Joe mentioned Perlando Baroa there. For me, he's one of their best relievers right now. Like This is a kid who we saw pitch as a starter in the minors last year with big-time stuff and well below average control and command. In relief this spring, we've seen all of that tick up. We've seen the fastball tick up. We've seen the slider tick up. He has a changeup that sits there in the 55 60 range and sometimes better. As a reliever, Baroa might just be ready to break camp, you know, right away. And, and it's gonna be interesting to see how the Mariners handle that because do they have a full bullpen? I don't think so. I unless you're unless you're telling me that Justin Topa is. He's just a guy that that fits into this Penn Murphy, Matt Festa kind of bottom of the bullpen sort of role. I don't know that he does. I don't know that he helps your team as much as Barroa might right now. I think Isaiah Campbell's in that mix as well. Um, so I'm interested in that. But you guys were talking about Bryce Miller. Joe highlights that, hey, he could be a starter. And I think that's what he is. And, and I think everybody would agree with that. But the great thing, the interesting thing about Miller is if you toss him into a bullpen role at the beginning of the season... He's probably better than Baroa, and he's probably, if not your best reliever, your second or third best reliever really? right off the bat. Really? And then you could transition him into a starter role a little later. Absolutely. And wow. what's really, really interesting, Bryce Miller does not have to be treated with kid gloves the way that George Kirby was a year ago, the way that Logan Gilbert was the year before coming off the, the missed minor league season. He threw almost 130 innings last year. If he's your number five starter, it doesn't sound like that's what they're going to do, but if the Mayors wanted to make Bryce Miller their number five starter right out of the gate, they could manage that throughout the course of the season without having to short script him, without having to send him to the minors, without having to use him as a boy. He could be the starter in that fifth spot all year long, and they could keep him within a, a reasonable range of workload, kind of like they did with Kirby last year, but without the whole idea that we have to wait. Remember last year, they had to wait a month or so with George Kirby. And then they had to send him down at the all-star break because they were managing. Bryce Miller is in a significantly better position to help this team from day one, right away, right now, right out of the gate. I don't know. That's what they're going to do, but he's ready to do that right now in some role.
0: Interesting because while we're on the topic of, of the starting rotation, Joe, I don't think anybody that's a Mariners fan at the end of the year last year would have thought that Chris Flexen would still be on the team on whenever we're recording this, the beginning of March or the following year, it's stunning to me. Sure, stunning to me that Chris Flexen is still a part of the team. What are they going to do with him? Is he going to ultimately be a part of the team? Do you move him? You try to bring something back, maybe in the in the way of a designated hitter like Jason Churchill just asked about with the questions. What are we doing with Chris Flexen?
6: Sure, I mean right now the way that I looked at it, he's he's a luxury right? I mean, you have an excess amount of starting pitchers. He's already proven that he can come out of the bullpen for you in 2022. So if you do need a long guy right out of the gates, if you if you're trying to pull back the reins a little bit on Logan Gilbert and George Kirby, who hit career highs in innings last year, maybe you hold on to Chris Flexen and you let him work the fifth, sixth and seventh innings in some of these early April games. But listen, you're, you're in an area, you're in a you're in a position of opportunity. If someone comes to you and says that they have the utility type that can play third base, that hits left-handed that can handle that DH spot for you 2 or 3 days a week can really make an impact on this lineup this lineup that does seem to be lacking one at least one bat to really kind of throw themselves into that conversation with the Houston Astros if Chris Flexen can go get that for you i think that's obviously uh, something that you need to explore but as things as things sit right now Seattle was was so lucky last year with starting pitching durability they they pretty much started the same guys all season long last year That is not going to be the case in 2023, and unless you are dead set that Bryce Miller can pitch long innings for you in April right now, I just don't think there's any rush to get rid of Chris Flexen unless you get a deal that actually improves your ball club.
0: Guys, if we took 10 Mariners fans off the street that actually pay some sort of attention to spring and we asked them, what are you paying attention to? Inevitably, Mm -hmm. the name Jared Kaunick would be the first name mentioned. So I'll just toss it to you. I joked on the podcast the other day that I am such a pessimist that I believe that every time an encouraging word or story is written about Jared Koenig in the spring, his batting average goes down 10 points. So every (laughs) single time, and his homers go down and his production, every single time Divish or somebody writes a story about the optimism surrounding Jared Koenig his 2023 production actually decreases and diminishes. Do you buy it? Are we buying the hype, the new approach, the going the other way, the new attitude, the letting things go off of his back more? I'll let both of you kind of jump in on this and we'll start with you, Joe. Joe Doyle, the newest member of the the Mariners No Table, where
6: are you on Jared Kelnick? First of all, Jared Kelnick will never change. Okay, Jared Kelnick is wired a certain way. He is wired to be like he said, he is a he's a he's a U.S. Marine that just happens. So so happens to wear a Seattle Mariners uniform. (laughs) He is a guy that's always going to be intense. He's always going to bring the highest level of competitive fire to the field. And even if he says that he's going to let things drip off his back and he's not going to let him you know, not take it personally, that's B.S. He might not outwardly show it, but it's going to bother the hell out of him. Now, mechanically, operationally, uh, mentally, is he in a better place to succeed? We will see. I I changed a lot from the time that I was 20 to the time that I was 23 and to the time that I was 33. So I do think that there are obviously areas of growth opportunity for him in the next couple of years. Now, what you said, I think is interesting. He's the talk of the town, right? He's been the talk of the town since 2020. Everyone wanted him to break camp with the team during the, the pandemic shutdown. 2021 2022 he was always the talk of the club it's just a matter of if this guy is going to see it click this year and frankly we are on year four of it so I'll tell you this Mitch this will be the last year that you actually have to ask this question if it doesn't work this year he will be moved in July he will be moved for even if it's a bullpen piece a fresh start will he work yes I think he actually will but define work Define yeah, what? So I think that he's going to be a 235, 240 hitter. And that's not, you know, if this was 1995, he wouldn't have a job. Right. But it's 2023. I think he's going to be a 235, 240 hitter. But I think he's got the ability to hit 30 home runs, 32 home runs, and steal 10 or 15 bags. So if you wow. kind of combine all of those pieces with the fact that he's an above average defender in left, and he might even be a plus defender in right. That's going to be a big uh, a big piece.
5: Yeah, I think what's interesting here about Kelnick is uh, Joe just mentioned two thirty five, two forty. The league hit two forty three a year ago mm-hmm. without power. You look at the league slugging under four hundred with a three twelve opp last year. Uh, now maybe that creeps up a little bit because of some of the changes in the game. I'm not really sure how much. But if you're telling me Kelvin goes out there and hits 235, I'll tell you he has an above-average on-base percentage and a well above-average slugging percentage, and is a two and a half or three-win player, and he might be the key to the entire Mariner season. I, I think the, the question with spring training, and I, I'm having a lot of fun in in the baseball thing slack with with some folks that are reacting. You saw you saw Sunday uh, Kelnick hits the the bomb off of Devin Williams, got a fastball and hit it over the batter's eye on Sunday. It, it, you know, people having fun with that, and I'm always a a health process and reps health process reps that's what spring training is about it's not about the actual results if he hits that ball hard and it's run down in center field for me same result that's process he's doing things right but mechanically like like joe alluded to he's put himself in a better spot and that gives me hope because before spring training started mitch i'm thinking to myself this is put up or shut up time for jared kelnick and and i think it is And, and joe mentioned this too like He's only going to get this one last extended shot. And my question on Kelnick and, and with the club here is how long do they wait? How long do they wait? How long do they go? Well, he's hitting a buck 85. His strikeout rate is 39%. He's not in for enough power. How long do we wait on Jared Kelnick? Because here you are without a great backup plan. You don't, I mean, AJ Pollock, I guess, is your backup plan. And then what happens at the designated hitter spot? One spot in your lineup is going to be significantly impacted regardless of who the backup plan is. They don't really have a good one. And if Kelnick isn't working out and we get into late May, how long can you wait? And that's probably going to be determined by, you know, hey, what's Taylor Tramiel up to? What's his return? Or how well is this team playing despite the fact that Jared Kelnick at that particular point in this scenario isn't performing? I think they need Jared Kelnick to hit. Because I think there are some other question marks in this line. I don't think Suarez necessarily is any sort of guarantee to repeat what he did last year. Uh, I think AJ Pollock is a question mark at 35 years old, especially in more of a full-time role. We really don't know what JP Crawford or Colton Wong are going to do offensively up the middle. I think if, if somebody gets hot early that we don't expect to be hot, that maybe buys Jared Kelnick some time. But Jared Kelnick can buy himself a lot of time by not starting the season slow and putting the Mares in a tough position because you can't go make significant trades in late May. That doesn't happen. You can make marginal deals like the deal they made in eighteen with Denard Span and Alex Colome with the Rays to supplement that group, but you're not going to be able to go and get Brian Reynolds in May. That's not going to happen.
6: Yeah, let me let me just add something to that. In my conversations with folks inside of the industry, people are still asking about Jared Kelnick in several trade talks. When whenever you know, Jerry calls someone or anybody, you know, inside of the organization, Justin calls someone saying, you know, what would it take to get this? What would it take to get this? Jared is still one of the first names that comes up in every opportunity, every single trade talk that Seattle kind of dives into. And the reason why you cannot argue with the tools, you cannot find very many 23 year olds that have 35 home run capability in them, prospect pedigree and a a thirsty thirsty desire to be the best at everything that they do so now it's just a matter of mentally will it click
0: where does he hit if he hits 235 with 30 home runs where does he hit ultimately in the order if he has a season church where he's 235 with 30 home runs and they're starting a postseason series with everybody healthy where does
5: he hit in the lineup probably still somewhere in the bottom half Uh, it really depends on how everybody else performs do they make a deal at the deadline what does that look like he's still probably going to be a guy that strikes out a little too much for me to bat one two three in that range you tell me he's hitting 235 it's probably a 30 plus percent strikeout rate right so can still be a good player i would also think about kelnick's comfort level that's a big thing with where you bat a guy i mean this is the human element part of it like we look at all the numbers and we're like julio should bat one or two and uh, tail should bat two, three or four. And it's like, we see all the numbers and we match them up. There's been a lot of studies done on how important the batting order is. For me, it's put your best hitters in the top four, five, six, whatever that is, uh, meshed with how comfortable is that batter? Is that particular hitter personally hitting in that particular role? A lot of times, and Nelson Cruz has talked about this in the past. A lot of times guys are like, all right, I'm the cleanup guy. I'm used to being the cleanup guy or batting third or batting fifth. If you want me all of a sudden to bat first or seventh, Does my approach change because my mentality is different because I'm batting in different situations? I'm hitting fewer. I'm getting fewer opportunities with runners on base, with runners in scoring position. And you have six hitters that are better than me now, or you have no hitters that are better than me. And I'm the guy now. So those things come into play here. I would just keep Kelnick comfortable. To me, I don't care if he hits nine or seven or six. And I don't care if, to be honest with you, he could be hitting 300 with 15 bombs at the end of man. I'm just leaving him alone. I'm truly leaving him alone. There's no way I'd bat him in the top five despite that.
6: Yeah. Ultimately, the projections that I threw out would have him something akin to what we saw from Cal Raleigh with a little bit more hit tool from 2022 into the 2023 lineup. And at that point, you're saying, well, if you're going to go lefty, righty, lefty, righty, if you kind of subscribe to that that book of baseball, you probably want to have Jared Kelnick lower in the lineup than Cal Raleigh. And that way, you know, if, if you bat Jared seventh, you still have the ability for him to steal a base and maybe get Julio up with a guy on base. You put Cal Raleigh there at the seven or eight spot, and he's pretty station to station.
0: I want to end with Joe Joe's corner on uh, the Mariners' no table. And, and it's March, and a lot of sports fans in the Northwest anyway are – chomping at the bit to see what the Seattle Seahawks do with all of their draft choices. They've got four draft choices, I believe, in the top 51 or 52 picks in the upcoming April NFL draft, and everybody here is very excited about that. Well, the Mariners have something similar. I I don't know that a lot of people know that. They've got the 22nd pick. They've got the 29th pick. They've got the 30th pick in the upcoming Major League Baseball Amateur draft. Joe, tell everybody how exciting that is, and maybe define why they have these three picks. There's actually one story that I didn't even know that you told me before we started that exists now in Major League Baseball.
6: Yeah, so the reason they've got a 22 is from their from their record. That's uh, an organic pick. Uh, 29 was, was awarded to the team for starting Julio Rodriguez on opening day last year uh, and incentivizing the team from not manipulating his service time. They start him. He wins Rookie of the Year and you're awarded a an extra first round pick. And then the 30th pick is a competitive balance A pick. The, the Mariners are in the revenue sharing world, they receive revenue sharing dollars. And so they were awarded a competitive balance A pick. First time in team history that they've got three top 30 picks. It's the first time it's ever happened. And I think they're going to be really creative with it. It, it affords them quite a bit of money in the MLB draft. They have the sixth most amount of dollars to spend in this draft. And I think even more importantly than those first three picks, while those are going to get the headlines, you kind of want to throw in that second round pick as well, because I think that's kind of where the flexibility and maneuverability will come. So, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, they've, they've drafted Harry Ford high upside high school catcher. They've drafted Cole Young, high upside shortstop on the high school side. I think you're going to see something similar in 2023. I think they are going to go out. They're going to grab some uh, high upside high schooler that is catching a lot of headlines, and they might actually float him down the board. So the luxury is essentially, while generally they would only get to settle for whoever is available there at 22, those three picks, they can buy a player down from maybe that 13, 14, 15 spot. And, uh, and float them down with a little bit of extra cash to their spot. So really exciting. And in a draft class that is as loaded on the college side as I have ever seen it going wow. back wow. seven or eight years, yeah. they could immediately infuse talent that they trade at the trade deadline and, and just keep this train mo- uh, moving.
0: If you listen real closely, guys, you can hear a voice from Newcastle yelling, trade down, trade down. That's John <laughs> Schneider yelling at the podcast, Mitch Unfiltered, as we speak. That's it. So these guys, these two guys and me for the ride, we're going to be with you all season long. Once we get into the into the nitty-gritty, into the baseball season, it'll be on a weekly basis for patrons. We'll also do some stuff on the free show on Mondays. He's Joe Doyle, and you follow him on Twitter. It's what? Joe Doyle, M-I-L-B, right, Joe? That's right. Minor leagues, baby. There it is. And, uh, of course, Jason Churchill, that's Prospect Insider on Twitter. I have that right. And, of course, the host Baseball Things.
5: Of um, uh, the Mitchless Baseball Things. So Mitch,
0: yeah, one of these days, guys. <laughs> one of these days, the invite <laughs> will be in the mail. Thank you, boys. Thanks for being with us.
5: You got it. Thanks, Mitch.
6: All righty.
0: Hey, look who it is. Lindsay Schwartz. Daniel's Broiler, my favorite place for special occasions. How's everything going over there at Daniel's Lindsay. Hey, Mitch, it's going great. Month of February, Valentine's Day, of course. Super busy
7: night for us. Great month for us. We're excited for February.
0: You know, it's award season in the NFL, and I thought, let's give out some awards to the Daniels Broiler menu. Are you ready to humor me on this? Let's do it. Okay. Geno Smith was recently named the comeback player of the year in the National Football League. Is there a comeback item of the year at Daniels Broiler? You know, I love it. I love it, Mitch. There actually is, believe it or not. No, there clearly is.
7: Okay. And it's it's the oysters on the half shell. It's the raw oysters. It was uh, Daniel's staple for years. Very popular item. And during the pandemic, it was harder to get. You know, we were open for a while, closed for a while, open for a while. It it was just too difficult to manage, and uh, we missed it. And we finally brought them back this past year. Of course, has been a huge hit. huge comeback comeback player of the year for sure
0: raw oysters on the half shell the comeback player of the year at daniels now we've got two great rookies on the seahawks Tariq woolen ken walker and others is there a rookie of the year a newer item on your menu that gets a claim Absolutely, yeah. Yeah,
7: let's go with the Piedmontese filet, okay. imported from Italy. It's grass-fed, a little bit different texture than what you're used to, and, and really delicious. One of my favorites. Got to be the rookie of the year.
0: And then there's the biggest of the big, the most prestigious award, the MVP, the most valuable player, or in your case, the MVI, the most valuable item on the Daniels broiler menu, and it goes to which one?
7: I mean, we got to go with the old standby. We got to go with the number one selling thing on the menu. We're a steakhouse. We're known for steaks. And the best seller is the filet mignon. It comes in two sizes, the 8-ounce, the 12-ounce. Can't beat it. It, it. It's the goat. It's the Tom Brady of Daniels Broiler. And uh, I just don't know how anything else could be the MVP. The ribeye doesn't compete, huh? I mean, they're all good. I got nothing bad to say about any of them. But you asked me for the MVP. I, I Like I said, I, I got to go with the goat.
0: The filet mignon is the MVP. The rookie of the year is the Piedmontese. And raw oysters on the half shell. The comeback item of the year at Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse.
5: Unfiltered. What's better than a game of catch on a summer day?
0: John Sukanik will tell you, not much. Glove, the ball,
8: the sound it makes. It, I mean, it's it's beautiful.
0: In March of last year, Major League Baseball was in a lockout and canceling games to start the season. You remember, we all handled that news differently, including our next guest, John Sukanek, a resident of Washougal, Washington, just on this side of the Columbia River. Where's Washougal,
8: Washington, John? Head south down I-5 until you get to the river. Don't cross into Portland, and then you hang a left, and you go about (laughs) 20 more miles, and you hit
0: Washougal. There you go. And you're a former Cougar offensive lineman.
8: Is that right? Yeah, there's no such thing as a former Coug, but I am a former (laughs) Coug offensive lineman. I I played football at WSU in the early 90s. All right. So tell
0: everybody in our audience that doesn't know already what you decided to do a year ago and why,
8: John. So I'm a huge baseball fan. Uh, I'm a huge Mariner uh, a fan, and I uh, had opening day tickets every year, and I I love the Mariners. And when they canceled the start of the baseball season, I was really upset about that. I was I was mad, and then everything you read and heard was that it was the season could be in danger, and we were headed to some dark uh, labor trouble. And I was just in a bad mood that day, and so I was I uh, was combing Twitter and then the internet looking for. Something positive, something to make me feel like the season wasn't going to be lost. And I stumbled on a podcast that I had never heard of before called the Baseball Bucket List. And that sounded interesting. We all have our sports bucket lists. And I decided to give it a listen. And the episode that I happened to listen to, they introduced me to a man named Ethan Bryan. And Ethan lives outside of Kansas City, Missouri. And in 2018, he decided to try this. He decided to play catch with somebody every day for a year. And this episode of the podcast talked about that. They talked about how he did it, who he found, what he learned. And the more I listened to it, the more I was intrigued by it. And it it became a thing. Like I thought, I wonder if I could do that. I, I wonder if I could find somebody every day for an entire year to play catch with. I love baseball. I love playing catch. I haven't done it in a long time. So I went home that night and I told my family about it. They kind of made fun of me. And uh, that night at about 9 o'clock, I dragged my older son out into the backyard. It was dark and raining. We played catch. And that was day one. And 365 days later, I completed my goal. Wow. You completed the goal just the other day. We'll talk about
0: Wednesday, final catch number 365, although you claim you're going to continue it on, and we'll talk about that. But uh, we won't spoil the fun. We'll leave 365 for the end of our of our conversation there's nothing quite like playing catch John try to put it into words for me the the sound of the ball hitting the mitt, the stories that people will tell while tossing the ball back and forth your experiences
8: yeah there really is something about it and I, I get romantic about baseball I really do and it just is perfect the the sound of the ball the sound it makes the feel of the glove the rhythm the back and forth rhythm when you play catch with somebody It just works. And that's nothing against throwing a football around or throwing a Frisbee around or whatever you want to do. But there's just something perfect about the ball and the glove and the sound and the feel. I think we all played catch at some point when we were kids. And there's a nostalgia factor there that takes you back to when you were a kid, playing with your mom, playing with your dad. The man that inspired this thing, Ethan, um, he, he says that playing catch is an invitation into a sacred space. And I I really found that to be the truth. When you are playing catch with somebody, it's intimate. You're there in the moment, and I have to make eye contact with you, and you make eye contact with me, and you're using both sides of the brain. I have to watch the ball. We're not on our phones. We're not worried about what's going on later in the day. And when you do that, when you're in that, that space with somebody, you lower your guard and you just talk. And we live in a world where we don't do that very much. We don't talk to strangers. We don't connect with people like we used to, especially coming out of the pandemic. And some amazing things happen when you just take the time to sit and look and talk to somebody. And I never expected that when this started, but I found that to be the case over and over again, over 365 days.
0: So let's talk about some of those crazy things and some of those fun stories that you uh, shared along the way. The idea was to play catch with 365 different people. I'm assuming that that didn't happen. That You had to repeat from time to time. What percentages were strangers and what were
8: people's reactions to you when you explained your spiel? So in 365 days, I played with 597 different people and it wasn't somebody new every day, which was actually smart because, you know, I got sick during the middle of it or we'd have a snow and ice storm and nobody's out. So I tried as best as I could to make it one a day, but There were times when I would play with uh, high school baseball teams or a little league team or more than one person would want to play in a day. So that's how we got to, to almost 600 different people. One of the cool things I tell people is that I ask strangers all the time. And over the entire year, I was told no one time. I only had one person tell me no, they wouldn't do it. And that's not me. There's just something about playing catch that intrigued people. And you know, as a former offensive lineman, I'm a big guy. I know that. And so it's weird. And you got to be careful when you approach somebody that's a complete stranger. And, you know, hey, you know, I'm doing this thing. But I kind of developed this this little spiel, right? And and it usually started with that. Hey, I'm doing this thing. Or I'm trying to play catch with somebody every day for a year. And would you be interested in, in throwing the ball around for a few minutes? And it was incredible to me. I mean, do the math, right? Somebody should have told me, no, somebody should have told me to take a hike. Somebody should have said, what's this guy doing? And 99.9% of the time people were like, yeah, okay. And those were some of the fun ones. And, and again, that's not, that's not me. I think it's goes back to what we talked about earlier. There's something about the ball and the glove and playing catch that people were intrigued about. they were like, yeah, I don't know this guy, but I'll throw the ball around a little bit. Who said no. It was actually in Seattle, (laughs) if you believe that. I was up there, and uh, you know the old site of Six Stadium? It's a Lowe's home improvement store now? Yeah. So I I went back there to visit it, because if you go around back to the Lowe's, they have a little home plate in the cement where home plate was, kind of where the Mariners were born. And I thought it would be cool to find somebody there to play catch with. And so I went back there one day, we were up in Seattle, my wife and I, and I went back there and there's a guy sitting at a picnic table having a hot dog. And I thought, Oh, I'll just ask, I'll just ask this guy. And to this point, nobody had ever told me no. So I, I maybe I got cocky, but <laughs> I went over to him and, and I explained my little scenario and he's like, nah, I'm good. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like you don't even have to get up. Just sit there. I'll toss you the ball a couple of times. And he was like, nah, I said, I'm good. And he got up and left. And I thought, wow, that's the first person to reject my offer. And then off off to the side, there was another man who had heard my spiel. And he said, dude, I'll play catch with you. And I turned and looked at him. And he told me that when he was 10 years old, he saw Jimi Hendrix play at six stadium. And he said, the stage was right there. My mom brought me in my friend. We sat right there. And I said, dude, would you play catch with me and tell me about it? And he said, dude, it changed my life. And so I played catch with a guy who saw Jimi Hendrix feet away from where we were standing playing catch, which was one of really a cool experience. So even the guy that told me no ended up turning into something pretty
9: cool.
0: Three weeks into the challenge, the guy in the angels hat eating by himself at a restaurant that you were visiting.
8: Yeah. One of the, one of the ones early on before I had kind of figured out what this was going to be, um, really, really taught me that it wasn't about baseball. So my wife and I were in Portland, Oregon, just across the river. And we had lunch at this deli and I walk out, and there's a man sitting there on the, on a picnic table. And he's wearing an angel's cap, which I hate the angel. So I'm kind of surprised that I went and <laughs> talked to him, but I went over to him and I said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. And I explained to him what I was doing. And he looked at me and he said, I love baseball. I used to play coach my kids that four years ago, I had a massive stroke and I almost died. And he said, I had to learn how to do everything again, eat, walk, talk. I haven't touched a baseball in four years. I don't know that I can throw it and catch it. And I said, well, are you willing to try? And he said, you have a glove. And I said, yeah, I carry him in my car. So I went and got the gloves and on a street corner in front of a deli in Portland, Oregon, I played catch with this guy who I didn't know. And I threw him the ball and he caught it and he looked at it and he got emotional. And he threw it back and we played catch for 10 or 15 minutes. I don't know that we said very much. He was clearly emotional and that made me emotional and we get done. And he came over to me and he said, he gave me a hug and he said, thank you for asking a stranger to play catch. I didn't know if I'd ever play catch again. And I said, thank you for trusting a stranger. Mm -hmm. And it was a really cool experience. And I got in the car with my wife to drive home and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, this isn't about baseball, is it? And I said, no. No, I don't think it is. I think it's going to be about people and connecting with people. And over the next 300, that was day 30-ish. So over the next 330-ish days, um, that was right. I proved it right. It was not about baseball. It was about people and connecting with people.
0: What a beautiful story, John. Your son was number one. Family, friends, strangers, you traveled
8: a little bit. Who was the oldest? Who was the youngest, John? Oldest person I played catch with was 93, and the youngest person I played catch with was three. So I had a, I had a guy bring his son uh, to try to play, and we were at a park, and and his little boy was much more interested in the playground aspect of it, but he hung around enough to to throw the ball a couple of times, and then I played with my wife's grandmother, who was 93. She lives up in Seattle, actually, and um, you know, obviously I've been married to my wife for 25 years. I know her grandmother very well. I learned. Uh, as much in that 20 minutes of playing catch with her that I have in 25 years of being married to a granddaughter. She was at the all-star game in the kingdom in 1979. I never knew that. Mm. And just to have her talk about baseball with me and see the, see the twinkle in her eyes. She recalled going to six stadium, going to the kingdom, loading up her kids on the bus to take it down to the ballpark to watch the Mariners um, was really a neat experience. Mm. Tell the story about someone
0: who passed away before being able to play catch with you is that right?
8: Yeah I've, I actually had two kind of um, sad stories during the during the the journey one of them was a good friend of mine and um, as this thing kind of unfolded, he lives far enough away that I don't see him very very often and then he would send me messages like oh that's a great story or I can't believe how cool this this thing is. And, um, he's like, I want to play catch with you. And I was like, yes, yes, we'll do it. Like I have, you know, I have all these days left. We'll, we'll get it done. I promise. And I got, I woke up one morning to the news that he had passed away in an accident and it it just hit me really hard that, you know, one of the, one of the things I've learned throughout this is, is I kind of say play every day because you never know if there's a game tomorrow. Mm. And with, with him, his name was Kevin. Um, That was really hard because, Hey, I have all this time. We'll get it done. And we didn't get it done. And that, that'll haunt me a little bit. And then another, another man um, reached out to me who I didn't know. And his name was Nick and he wanted to play catch with me. And we did. And it was awesome. We had a great catch. And then he said to me, when we were done, he said, I have some friends who would like to do this. And I said, that'd be awesome. Let them know. Let's do it. Let's play. And off he went. And 30 days later, a month later, I find out he was killed in an accident. Oh and, and that was strangely emotional for me. I had known this man for 30 or 45 minutes, and we played catch, and it felt like I lost a friend. So fast forward a couple of weeks, and I get a message from a, another guy who wants to play catch with me. So we meet at a park, and we start playing catch. And then he tells me that he was Nick's friend. And the day that Nick came home from his catch with me, he went over to his friend's house and said, you got to do this. This guy's doing this thing. It was really cool. It was, it was amazing. I want to go back with you and play catch. And the, and the the guy said, yeah, 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 no, we'll do it. We'll do it. And then obviously Nick was, was killed. And so the man told me that he sat down that first night after his, his best friend had died and he made a list of all the things he told his friend he would do uh, and never got to. And they were things like we're going to go to a ball game here. We're going to have a, bur- a burger and a beer here. But on the list was play catch with me. And so he said I wanted to do that first because I should have done it sooner. And what do you do with that? Mitch, you just, I start crying, he starts crying. And, you know, I've cried with so many strangers over 365 days, it's ridiculous. But those moments that people are willing to trust me with their stories, that people are willing to come and share those stories with me, uh, stuff I'll never forget.
0: Neighbors, sandwich delivery drivers, Members of the media, Apollo Creed himself, yeah. Carl How Weathers.
8: Apollo Creed played catch with you. What day was that? You got to know the number on that one. No, that was recent. That was recent. That okay. was like three fifty four, three fifty five. He was at a, he was at a comic book convention down in Portland. And I'm a huge Rocky fan. Oh, I mean Apollo Creed, the, the master of disaster, the king of sting, the count of Monte Fisto. and I just over the course of this, this year, I've had some cool experiences where I've gotten to be near a celebrity or, or near a, a convention where somebody's there signing autographs. And I just figured what's the worst they can say. So I, I get in line, I'm going to get his autograph and, and I get up to him and I said, Hey, you know, champion of the world, Apollo Creed, I'm doing this thing Is there. Anyway, you know, and he looked at me and he goes, yeah, let's do it. And he backed up and we got about, you know, five or 10 feet away from each other. And, <laughs> threw him the ball four or five times, he threw it back. And then we took a picture together and, Beautiful. and, uh, and it was, it was unbelievable. So those, those are super cool. And a lot of fun. Jamie Moyer. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Autograph signing, went up there to him said, Hey, I'm a huge Mariner fan, big fan of yours. You know, is there any way? Right. And he looked at me and he said, I have never been asked that. And I said, what? And he goes, I have signed, Thousands and thousands and thousands of autographs in my life. He goes, I've never been asked to play catch. I said, well, here you go. And I I had brought a left-handed glove. And (laughs) there's a whole line of people getting autographs. And he stood up and we played catch for a couple of minutes. and, and, And it was amazing. Really cool. Which brings us to the kicker. As if the
0: story isn't great enough and it's great enough, we could end it right here and it'd be great enough. Day number 365. Talk about how it happened and what happened in your world, John.
8: Yeah. So as, as we got closer to the end, people would start asking me, what, what are you going to do on 365? You've had some amazing experiences, right? Jamie Moyer, Apollo Creed, we've talked about those. And I'm, I, I'm romantic about baseball, and I, I like the flair for the dramatic, and I like movies. And I thought if I could write the Hollywood script, for me, for me personally – there would be nothing better than being on the field in my favorite place, T-Mobile park with my baseball hero, Ken Griffey jr. And that's impossible, right? This ludicrous to even think. And, but that's, what's great about sports, right? Mitch miracle. Do you believe in miracles? Mm -hmm. You know, buzzer beaters and hail Mary's they happen. And I have a friend who is friends with Ken Griffey jr. And we, we played catch a few times during this and I'm not subtle. So I would, I would tell him this, Hey, you know, you know, what would be a really cool way to do it? And, um, he, he got in contact with Griffey. Actually, the original plan was my wedding anniversary was in September and we were going to be in a Seattle at a Mariners game. And we had heard that Griffey would be in Seattle for something that weekend. And so my wife reached out to my friend and said, Is there any way you can get Griffey to play catch with my husband on his anniversary, on our anniversary, be the best anniversary present ever and so my buddy reaches out to griffy and says hey explains it sends him one of the news clips so griffy understands what's going on and the legend goes that griffy says no i won't do it and my friend was kind of taken aback by that and he said what day will that be and my friend says i don't know like 260 something and griffy goes i'm not just going to be 260 something he goes i'll do it and i'll be 365. <laughs> And so my friend's like, well, where? And he goes, well, I'll get the stadium. We'll do it there. So, so, right. Unbelievable. That doesn't happen. And so Wednesday morning, uh, I I walked into the front offices of the Mariners and the security guard said, Oh, are you Ken Griffey jr's guy? I said, yeah. Can you say that again? And, uh, the elevator, the elevator dings and, and Ken Griffey jr walks out and he's like, you ready? And I, I think so. And, We went down onto the field and could not have been any cooler. I'm The nicest guy, he didn't owe us that. He he stayed for about 45 minutes and played catch. My wife was there. My son was there. He played catch with both of them, took pictures. Just so genuine, so nice, just unbelievable, unbelievable moment. I'll tell you this. I'm 49 years old, Mitch. The moment I walked out onto that field, I was 12. And you can't... You can't recreate that, and it was uh, it was unbelievable.
0: How did he know that he was going to be in Seattle or in your neck of the woods on day three sixty
8: five? Yeah, so funny Another funny part of the story: we, the original plan was we were going to go to him. We were going to go to Orlando. Okay. In fact, I I had plane tickets to Orlando. Okay. And about a month ago, we saw. I forget the name of the organization, but they just had their big awards banquet up there in Seattle, and they gave him an award. They gave him some prestigious the Royal Brougham sports legends, humanitarian thing. I, I don't remember, um, but the, the award banquet was the night before. So it would have been day three sixty-four. And I called my friend and I said, we got a problem. <laughs> we, I got a ticket to our, I got take it to Orlando and Orlando, and he's not going to be in Orlando. And uh, so, so he called Griffey. And again, a credit to a credit to Griffey, right? He just said, I'll just get the, I'll get the stadium. We'll do it there. Have him come up. Ah, uh, Tuesday night and and Wednesday morning we'll go. Wow! And and so that's what happened. It was it was Griffey's idea to be 365, and it was Griffey making the the audible to do it in the stadium. And incredible. can't thank him enough. Incredible. Can't thank him enough.
0: So John, 365 days later, 500 and some odd people later, incredible stories, an incredible journey that started with a lot of giggles from your family ends. At T-Mobile, or as I call it Safeco, with Ken Griffey Jr., everybody is yelling at the podcast right now. That's the way <laughs> you go out, John. You can't yeah. go out a better way than that, and you say, "No way, Jose!" Right? That's not going to be the <laughs> last one.
8: Well, it's it, so it's it's really funny because people say that, right? And and you can't top that. I can't top that, and I'm not going to ever try that for me, that's the, that's the pinnacle, right? My hero in my favorite place in the world. And I, I I can't beat that, but what this has become for me is something that I love. And 365 was a challenge, the novelty of it. I get it. I love playing catch. Now I love meeting people. I love connecting with people. And to be honest with you, it would have been really weird to get up on day 366 and not do it. So uh, I'm not trying to turn it into anything else. I'm not trying to to break a world record. I just want to keep playing catch and uh, I'm going to do that. So if there are people out there that still want to play and I'm (laughs) going to look for opportunities to do it and we'll just see what happens, right? We will just, maybe I won't post it every day or make such a big deal about it, but um, it's become something I love to do. So I'm going to just keep playing catch and, you know, we'll see what happens, right? Maybe, maybe down the road I'll end up as that some weird dude in Washugo that's played catch like a thousand days in a row or something. I don't know. But, um, the, the journey, the three sixty five is over. It ended the best way it could possibly end, but I'll be honest with you. I played catch yesterday. So uh, we'll just, we'll just see, we'll just see where it goes from here.
0: You're just kind of like Forrest Gump since you love movies, you're running and you're running. And when are you going to end? I don't know. And then someday you're just going to end. Maybe. You and I will be at a Mariners game this summer on the same night or the same day, and we can get together somehow, some way when you're in Seattle and have a catch. I would,
8: I would love nothing more than that. <laughs> in all honesty, in fact, in fact, a funny story, a funny story. I'm serious. You have my number. I would, I try to get up to as many games as I can. I would love to play catch with you. But a funny story: 365 days, I've played in movie theaters, warehouses, office buildings, parks, parking lots, wherever you can imagine restaurants, right? Yeah. The only place in that whole journey where I got told to stop playing catch was Safeco Field. <laughs> I was, I was at a game. I was at a game this summer and they were playing the Padres. And there was a guy about 10 rows in front of me that recognized me from the, he said, I, he lived in Kennewick and he said, I, you're the guy that plays catch with people. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I've seen you on, social media. I follow this. This is really cool. I can't believe I ran into you. And he said, can we play catch? So I stood up in row 20 and he stood up in row 10 and we started throwing (laughs) the ball back and forth. And we got about, we got about 10 throws in and the usher came and, you know, put like a lifeguard telling the kids not to run by the pool. He said, I can't, I can't let you guys do that. And I said, so wait a minute you're telling me I can't play catch at a ballpark? And he said, yeah. And so it's kind of a funny story that the only place I got told no and, and quote-unquote kicked out of playing catch was in my favorite place, which is a ballpark. Uh, so kind of, kind of funny.
0: That's great. It started on day one with his son during the lockout in the backyard in Washougal, Washington. It ended – well, it didn't end. But uh, 365 days later, he's at T-Mobile Park with Ken Griffey Jr. He's John Suchanik with a lot of stories to tell along the way, and we're thrilled to have him on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you so much, John. Great to visit with you. Keep playing catch,
8: okay? Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure, and I'm going to take you up on it, Mitch. I expect (laughs) to see you at the ballpark with a glove. Anytime. He's back, the president of Zeke's Pizza,
0: Dapper Dan Black. How are we doing, Dan?
3: Good. We're dapper this week, huh? (laughs) We are dapper.
0: We are (laughs) dapper this week. I just spoke to Lindsay at Daniel's Broiler, and since it's award season in the NFL, I'm hoping that Zeke's can participate with the things that are happening in your world. Are you ready to go through three major awards?
3: Mm, We'll see. I think so.
0: (laughs) Geno Smith just won Comeback Player of the Year in the NFL who's the comeback player what is the comeback player of the year for Zeke's
3: I'm gonna give you two we've got a tie actually okay so our Redmond location just reopened after a great remodel so it's a Mm -hmm. full Northwest pizza pub with a beer bar right now so that's pretty fun. That's okay. definitely a good comeback because okay. it was closed for a little while. And then we just launched a new app, which has rolled out to about half of our stores and it's working really well. So for people that are on the new app and are about to be on the new app, uh, ordering's never been easier. So the app and Redmond. What's the biggest difference in the app? The customer interface is super easy. It's super intuitive. So literally after you've taken about 10 seconds to sign up with your email and stuff, pizza's like two button pushes away for the rest of your life. So it's really easy. And then we got rewards for for the first time as well. That's cool too.
0: Everybody knows that the Seahawks had a bunch of very solid rookies. I, yeah. need,
3: a, I need a rookie of the year in the Zeke's pizza world. I'm going to go with a beer on this one. As we've talked about, we do a lot of collaboration beers with our brewing partners, and we did one with Fremont Brewing this summer called Z Side Frozen IPA, and we couldn't keep it in stock. It flew off the shelves, nice. and it was a fun one, and so. We're working on some more collabs this summer. We're probably going to do some with Rubens Brews, who's our main brewing partner. I think I've told the story, but we helped launch them back in the day. We met them at a brewing party in Finney Ridge. And part of the reasons they became a commercial brewer was because Zeeks agreed to buy their product. So that's Zeke's and Rubens have a really close relationship.
0: But Dan, there's got to be a location that also... Should garner some rookie of the year status, no?
3: Yeah, I'm gonna go Seward Park. Uh-huh. It's cool because it's become a total destination for NFL football games in the bar. And so that has been super fun. And then I'll throw Spokane in there too. And you're not gonna like this, but they've become a destination for GU basketball games. It's packed, <laughs> it's packed out with students every game.
0: All right. The only way that you can make up for that, Dan, is to call Mitch Levy your MVP. If I'm not your MVP, then what is or who is the MVP this year for
3: Zeke's? Yeah, well, you're you're, you're <laughs> MVP 1A. You know, I'm going to go with the Cherry Bomb. The Cherry Bomb is our most popular pizza, and it's, it's the perennial favorite. It's the anchor of the menu, and I can't order Cherry Bomb enough, and most people I know can't order Cherry Bomb enough.
0: Okay, we got the award, Zeke's Pizza. You love Zeke's Pizza. What a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered, and Zeke's Pizza, of course, is homegrown, in the Northwest. I've
3: stated, you know, where the commissioner stands on this. I've stated where I stand on this. Um, your your question, you could make that assumption um, very clearly. Everybody would kind of make that assumption.
0: Is it cheating? Excuse me? Do you use the word cheating? Was this cheating?
3: We broke the rules. And you can phrase that any way you want.
0: The last time our next guest was on this show, he was merely a senior baseball writer for The Athletic with, I believe, one book to his credit about the Boston Red Sox a couple of years ago. Now, he returns as a fancy-schmancy author of a new book just out. It's called Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sport's Biggest Mess the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal. Evan Drellich is with us. Hi, Evan.
10: Mitch, I didn't even have to remind you of my last name. Every, basically, every time I don't remind a host how to say my last name, they say Drellich. That's, that's impressive, actually.
0: Well, you know what we do is, or some of us do, we, we look for other appearances that you've made on podcasts, and mm-hmm. we see what they called you. And we just copy it. Hopefully they did it right. That's all I can tell you. It's just a, right. it's a copycat that's business. Right. That's all That's all it is. I, I have two timing questions to start off with. Because I, I know the answer on one, but I think our audience will be interested to hear the story. On the other one, I actually don't know the answer to. So let's start with how long you sat on this story before you and our, our buddy, Kenny and- Rosenthal actually broke the story. You had to sit on this story for a while because you were in between jobs, right?
10: Yeah. I, you know, I I hesitate to say sit on it. I've still wanted more. I mean, in the end, if I had published the story when I first learned about it, yeah, I would have been totally accurate, but it it was such a large story. You want to make sure you have everything right. And you get as much corroboration as you can, et cetera, et cetera. So I learned what the Astros had done in 2017, in October of 2018, uh, I was at that point in Boston. So I'd left Houston. I'd been an Astros beat writer in Houston, and uh, I'm covering the Red Sox. It's actually during the 18 ALCS, Red Sox Astros in Houston. So I'm sitting in my hotel room, and I spoke uh, with people who you know had, had firsthand knowledge of what had happened, and you know, people who had lived it, who who knew what was up. Um, and it it was a long journey from there. I mean, immediately I'm. I'm a shocked but B well how do I get this story and there were some complicating factors one the corroboration two I was working for a place that I didn't trust they were a regional sports network I knew the Astros were aggressive with reporters and if I wrote the story I figured the Astros would attack me and if that was going to happen I needed a place that was going to stand behind me and mm-hmm. um you know I didn't think that was the place where I was working lo and behold in February of 19. So that you know, whatever, four months later, uh, I get fired and I don't have a job looking for a job. And yeah, this story is, it's sitting in my notebook. I, you know, I, I, I don't think it was ready yet uh, and I'm glad I waited, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's sitting there and I'm kind of torturing myself that I pass on the biggest story of my life. And, you know, eventually Ken Rosenthal uh, and the athletic come calling and yeah. then hey, eventually yeah. we, we get the story done. But you had to,
0: you had, I mean, unless you're the most calm, collected human being on the face of the earth, you had to have a little audience that somebody was gonna beat you to the story while you're on the beach for a, for for months there. No.
10: Yeah, I, I think, yes, in general, I think that's right. I also think that I was pretty confident that. You know, I had ways into the story that I just didn't think other people had. You know, I'd actually covered the team as opposed to a national writer who hadn't covered the team. And um, it was more I think the larger fear I had was, well, will it ever get done? Will I, will I ever get it done? I, I, don't, I never sat there and thought. Somebody else was really on the cusp of it. Um, but, yeah, that's part of the fear. Mm -hmm. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like sliding doors now to look back at it. Well, what if I don't join The Athletic? Does the story come out somewhere when it comes out? Does it come out at all? Does somebody else break it? I don't know, but I'm glad I don't have to worry about it.
0: And then the other question is, why did it take so long to do the book? What was it that you uncovered as you went along in the process that made Evan Drellick say, you know what? I'd like to get this out right now, but no, we should wait. Let's wait until we... We dot some more I's and cross some more Ts.
10: You know, it was look, it was a long process. I think people with sports books, you know, team wins the World Series. You can turn around a book about how great they are pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. The book is really sports investigative journalism, investigative journalism. It's spanning a lot of time. It's a lot of facts, a lot of years, a lot of people. Messy stuff is harder to write and report. It just it just takes time. I actually interestingly had trouble. Once I got to the editing process because I'd kind of like so much. I transcribed five hundred thousand words myself and I you know get a draft done and and I and I just got a little paralyzed because you, you get to a point where it's like I I don't have any more juice left here. Like I I feel like I'm done, but you're not done. You get to go through rounds and rounds of edits and in the end the edits made it Made it work well. You know, the earliest the book could have come out probably would have been late in the season last year. I actually think it came out at a better time. I'm happy with the time it came out, right before spring training makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right after football season, after it's just one, you get kind of the coda of that, and James Click getting fired. So I don't have any regrets on it. Could I have moved quicker? Could somebody else have moved quicker? Sure, but this was never going to be like a. For it to be what it is, and I think to succeed the way I I, I think it is being considered to have succeeded, it took time. I'm I'm glad that the time was spent on it.
0: Everybody knows in the baseball world about the sign stealing, the cameras, the trash can beating, but the book is more or just as much about the Astros culture, the focal point of the Astros culture in all of those years. 2014, 2015, and how we got to that moment. Give us the Cliff Notes version for our listeners who don't really remember all the dysfunction that was going on in that organization.
10: I mean, you know, I, I think it'd be impossible to remember it all because I don't, I think a lot of it, um, you know, is new in the book. Some of it we certainly knew about. There was Brandon Taubman, the assistant general manager, who was fired right before the 19 World Series because he had drunkenly yelled in the clubhouse. Uh, at a bunch of reporters uh, women and oh, yeah. you know that caught a lot of people's attention that was right before ken and i got our story out on the, on the cheating uh there had been a hacking scandal a ex-cardinals executive went literally went to federal prison mm-hmm. for uh accessing the astro systems or database ground control and as anybody who would pick up the book would see there was a lot there was a lot that preceded the sign stealing and and it takes a bit in the book to get to the science ceiling because there's a lot to set up and, to, and the context explains to people, how did we get here? How did we arrive at a point where you have this massive scandal? And it's not an accident. It's not it's not a coincidence or happenstance that this happens in Houston, in that organization, with that management.
0: Would you say that amongst all the bad guys, quote, in your book that Jeff Luno is kind of the Lex Luthor here? He's the guy. He's the main guy with the black hat or no?
10: Well, you know, I think Jim Crane would be in that conversation. Sure. But I, I I honestly think that the book, and I hope people walk away from it, shows that there are shades of gray here. Jeff Luno is a smart guy. He did a lot of smart things. He created really good baseball rosters and put in uh, innovative methods and brought in innovative people. Right? It is not an all is bad situation. Jim Crane has a lot. Of warts even before he got to Houston Really checkered past yeah, But he makes a lot of money And you know people respect somebody who can Become a billionaire right. And uh, he certainly did that in logistics And he's making a lot of money off of the Astros now So yeah look Luno's a central figure in this book But there's not a lot in this book that I think is Totally black and white
0: But the other bad guys Cora Hinch yeah. Crane Beltran They're all in baseball Right. They're all, they, and they've all said, hey, and, and some version of I accept responsibility. I take accountability for what I did or didn't do. Uh, it seems like Luno is the only one who hasn't done that. And he's yeah. not in baseball. I actually read somewhere where he's claiming to some people that he's been offered a job or two or three to run a baseball organization. I don't know if we believe him or not, but he's the one guy of the bad guys that still is on the outside looking in. Right.
10: Yeah, and that I think that's for several reasons. He he was not contrite in the time after the scandal, and he really tried to put blame on really anybody and everybody else he could. Cora, Reed Ryan, the former Astros president, the the marketing team, uh, special assistants. He, you know, th- there was no sense of looking inward and saying this happened on my watch. It shouldn't have happened on my watch. I mean, he gave some quotes like that, but it was always followed by deflection. And he's a guy who who wanted to get credit for all of the good stuff and none of the bad stuff. You add on top of that, that in general, if you read the book and you, you, you know, you even reporting it's already out there, he didn't treat people the way they wanted to be treated. A lot of employees did not like working for the guy. He sues his owner, he sues Jim Crane after Luno gets fired. And you know, that's the kind of thing that other Major League Baseball owners are gonna. Uh, take a look at sure i i don't think the commissioners you know the commissioner's office found a bunch of evidence that would suggest luno should have known what was going on and luno's whole defense with everything is oh i didn't read that email oh i didn't you know that conversation didn't happen unless he added up and at a certain point he's a guy that lacks credibility and really it turned off a lot of people in the industry both before this the scandal comes out he gets fired and afterward and how he responds to it so there is a difference between his situation and Hinch and Cora and Beltron, on and on. you describe
0: described this as, well, most people have, a league-wide issue that the commissioner's office didn't get out in front of early yeah. enough. And it grew to the level that it did in 2017. Other teams clearly doing it. You talk about that in the book. But it was different. There was a threshold that the Astros crossed that took it to the next level. You know, we all joke about the garbage can pounding, but from what I understand from the book, that's it. As opposed to it being, and we'll get into base runners and what they were doing, when it rose to the level of we're going to knock on a garbage can and tell our hitters what the pitch is coming, that's when they went too
10: far. Yeah, it it was the fact that they were doing it with nobody on base. The the scheme that other teams were undertaking was... It's still you You had to you decoded the signs in the video room. You get that out to the dugout. And then if a guy gets on second, well, he knows the code. You know, that is still cheating. But it, be, it did become more prevalent. It, it is more culpable for the league or, you know, to the league's culpability because they gave every team these video rooms. And then the Astros just take it, depending on how you want to look at it, a step or multiple steps farther. It's, it's no, we don't even need a runner on base. We can do this on any pitch. We'll set up the monitor right behind the dugout in the tunnel. And we'll make noise. We'll bang on the garbage can. So the garbage can is kind of the funny end to it. But really, the thing that's egregious about it is that they set up this whole electronic system to be able to communicate to any hitter on any pitch, whether it's a garbage can or not. You know, you can have a debate. And and I guess some people do. Is any cheating equivalent to any cheating? You, You know, does severity matter? I think it matters. I think most people think it matters. You know, I use the speeding comparison a lot. 90 and a 65 versus 120, 130 and a 65. Right. But, you know, you could stand there and go, well, you're breaking the rules one way or another. And that's, you know, that's bad enough for me. And the other element of it is the commissioner's office didn't want to pursue the other behavior as much because they would have had to pursue, you know, multiple teams. And uh, but nonetheless, that's where we arrive. We arrive at a place where, yeah, most people look at the Astros as being steps beyond what anybody else was doing.
0: You said in other interviews, the same interviews where they pronounced your name correctly, you said um, that the Astros were least equipped to stop it. Why do you think, guys, we just mentioned, A.J. Hinch, the manager doesn't put his foot down. There's a lot of star players on that team, a lot of guys that carried a lot of clout that could have said, no, we're good enough to win this thing without doing this. We're We're the best in the league without it. We don't need this. This shit, sorry for my French. Why do you think nobody stood up and said, hey, no, we're not doing this. We're not going to be a part of this.
10: There's a lot of factors here. There's a general discussion about why don't people, you know, in a group setting like that, halt the behavior. Well, you know, whistleblowers are rare in any industry, it doesn't matter baseball or otherwise. And we know that baseball and clubhouse culture, locker room culture in general is, you know, protect the group and what happens in your season here and all that type of stuff. So it's no surprise in general that, you know, you don't have it. Then you get to the more specific issues of take Hinch, for example. Well, he'd already been fired once in Arizona and he lost the clubhouse teams doing very well in Houston. He doesn't want to lose a segment of this clubhouse, doesn't want to lose okay. you know, Alex Cora, Carlos Beltran, Bregman, the, you know, the, and, and the guys that are kind of really driving the system. And he doesn't doesn't want to stop the team from uh, winning. And, he, you know, he looks around and, and believes and might, in fact, know that some of the other teams are doing something similar, not what they were doing, it right. turns out, but right. something. Right. Um, so, you know, you start to justify it. And. Uh, you know, th- it was a failure on Hinch's part. It was a failure that the relationship between Hinch and Luno wasn't better, such that, uh, you know, Hinch could bring it to Luno's attention and say, we need to stop this, right? I mean, in the middle of 2017, Jeff Luno brings in McKinsey and Company, the consulting firm, to evaluate baseball operations, not business, not hot dogs, not ticket sales, baseball operations. They're literally having management consultants sit down with AJ Hinch, coaches, and even a few players in the middle of the world championship, where it ends up being the world championship season. Mm-hmm it's an example of a culture where you think that's going to foster trust between your manager and your general manager players didn't trust the front office Front office tried to screw them in arbitration. And, you know, it, it was, it was a, and this is why it takes a while to get to science ceiling. You see everything that comes before it. you see the culture and the environment where this is allowed to continue and to grow. And I, I think anybody who gets that chapter is going to get there and go, well, this isn't surprising.
0: Let's say, Evan Drellick doesn't have the story. Let's say the story never comes out with you and Ken Rosenthal in the athletic. Does Major League Baseball turn the other way and let this happen for years and years to come? I mean, do the Astros get away with this and do other teams start beating trash cans? What happens if you guys don't write the story?
10: Interesting question. Um, you know, I guess the behavior probably would grow, you would think, to a point where some way or another, some team gets caught in a new way, you know, whether it's the Astros or somebody else. I mean, you know, if, if it continues for another couple of years now, remember 18 playoffs. And then in 19 MLB had started to crack down. They, they had started to put people in these video rooms, 18 playoffs for the first time that there was somebody in there the whole time. Oh, now okay, there are accounts in the books of, in the book of even when you had the security guy in there, you know, some t- in Boston, for example, Sometimes they're Red Sox fans, you know, they'll, they'll wink and a nod. They'll let you get something out of that room if you need to. So, yeah, it's an interesting question, um, because if, if if indeed it was getting quieter and more clandestine, maybe maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> it's not my favorite question to think about, to be honest, but I don't know. Mm. I, I guess I, I'll, I'd say this. Major League Baseball does, ex- does major investigations when it needs to quiet a public fury. They don't normally announce we're swooping in. And they basically did that in Houston. And so I think the answer a bit is public pressure, public outroar often precedes significant league action. I mean, whatever it might be, whether it's changing the rules, pace of game. Right. You know, they're not doing it because everybody's sitting there going, this is great. You know, they're doing it because they're getting other feedback.
0: Right. So uh, in conclusion, what what now? The Astros have backed it up. They've won world championships since, so they can now say, didn't mean anything. Are teams still stealing signs? Are they doing it a different way? What's going on now? What's to come?
10: Well, I think that first part of your statement there is an interesting one because I kind of hope it's one of the things people walk away from the book thinking about is, does winning fix everything? Does the fact that the Astros won the 2022 World Series mean that all this other culture stuff that was going on is now just totally solved and and that's the whole point is that you know we as we in sports media fans we're just conditioned to think that well you reached that objective so you must be great but you know there could be these parallel realities that exist is you can have a great product and be really screwed up on the inside and i don't know if the astros uh, are less screwed up now i would hope so i would think so how much have they fixed everything oh i don't know it, it, and You know, the other lesson of the book is it takes time to get to these answers. You you, you can't drop in there for a day or a week, get some nice quotes. uh, Oh, you know, yeah, everything's really turned around. You don't know. It takes a lot of work to get under the hood of an organization. Um, To the question of cheating. There will someday be or could even be now. And I say this with no knowledge. You know, people are going to always try to get an edge and push the rules. It's human nature. When the incentives are big, when there's big money on the line, fame, stardom, contracts, the whole thing, somebody's going to try to cheat again. You would assume that some people might get away with it, and maybe someday some people won't, and there will be another major scandal. Uh, but no, the notion that that nobody's ever going to try to cheat again in baseball—it's it, harder to do this type of electronic science ceiling scheme now. What if you get bold and try to hack into pitch comm? What if you get bold and try to hack into the automated ball strike system? If that ends up coming to the major <laughs> oh, leagues, God. you know that. I mean, that that'd be pretty aggressive and nefarious, and maybe uh. technically quite difficult. But the Astros opened the door to the imagination, and and you know the other teams as well. It it whatever you can kind of think about. What what does stop somebody from going to the plate with a little buzzer on their body somewhere? Nothing accept the fear of punishment they're not going through a tsa security scan <laughs> the before they go to the plate <laughs> and so you don't know, you just don't know and that's kind of the sad thing about all of this is it does make you wonder it makes you wonder what you're watching you know is this real who's doing what but uh you know it's not the first time people have tried to cheat in baseball that's for sure
0: would you hire jeff luno to to uh run
10: your baseball organization no uh, to be the head of baseball yes. operations yes. or he's where he's yes. overall running the whole yes. thing no I think he is valuable as a strategist. Um, I would not, given how he treated people and given all the the, the proof is in the pudding in both regards, great at roster evaluation and and some of that strategy stuff, but the handling of people, the handling of the really everything else besides that Mm. really lacked and had really negative results to the point that he gets fired and other people get fired. So. No, I would not make him the head of my organization. Is it possible that he could learn from this in real ways and, you know, make changes? Absolutely. And but it would have to, you know, it would be interesting to well, uh, he'd to have hear to hear that. He'd have to accept that he's done something wrong first.
0: <laughs> you right. can't. He's not going to change his ways if he uh, if he doesn't think he's done anything wrong either with the dealing of people or the the whole sign stealing event. Anyway, the name of the book is. That's right. Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. He's Evan Drelick, second time on Mitch Unfiltered. Will there be a third? Well, you'll have to wait and see. Maybe he's got to write another book for us to get him on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Evan. Thank you very much.
10: Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it.
0: Hey, look who's back with us. It's Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning Evergreen Golf Call in their new
9: offices. How's everything going over there, Katie? We're all doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me today. And I
0: understand... That we're going taxes on our pop quiz.
9: That's right. So we are actually talking specifically today about the new proposed Washington state capital gains tax. Ah. In 2021, the state enacted a new tax on long term capital gains that were effective starting 2022. Question number one for you is what percentage is that taxed? So if you have a capital gain, what percentage is it going to be taxed at from the state? Is it three percent, five percent or seven percent?
0: It's either five or seven. I'll go five percent, Katie.
9: It's actually seven percent. You're taxed at the federal level, either at 0%, 15%, or 20%, depending on your, your tax rate. But then additionally, Washington state will take another 7%.
0: I don't like that. I don't like that news. What's question number two?
9: The good news is that not all capital gains are subject to the 7% tax. Specifically, real estate is excluded from this. So whether it's a personal residence or an investment property, you don't have to worry about the 7% at this point from that. Additionally, it's only if you have a specific dollar amount of capital gains. So if you make below this dollar amount in capital gains for a given year, you don't have to pay the 7% tax. But if it's above this amount, you are subject to that tax. What is that amount? Is it $100,000, $250,000, or $500,000?
0: And this is additional to the federal tax that you'll be charged on capital gains. It's either two hundred fifty dollars or five I'll go the big one, five hundred. dollars
9: Actually, 250000 um, So let's say you sold stock and you made $300,000 in 2022. Right. $50,000 above the two fifty. dollars that would be subject to the 7% tax.
0: Understood. Which makes me 0 for 2. I have one last shot. Give me a true or false question, would you, Katie, please?
9: (laughs) All right. I got you with number three here. So right now, the state Supreme Court started hearing arguments just at the end of January of 2023 to determine if this tax is constitutional. So true or false. If you had capital gains in excess of $250,000 in 2022, you will not have to pay the tax until they determine if it's constitutional. Is that true or false? Well, that makes sense
0: that makes sense that you shouldn't have to pay it until we find out the ruling from the court so i'm gonna say true please tell me it's true
9: Definitely for you and for anyone that has gains above that $250,000, it's false. The courts uh, came out in the last few months and said if you did have these gains, you will be subject to pay by April. There's a special website that you have to go to log this information. It seems like quite the cumbersome process here, and we're still figuring out what that all means for everyone in the state. So if you have questions about it or are curious if this applies to you, please reach out to us at evergreengk.com to schedule a consultation and learn more.
0: And of course, if it's ultimately ruled unconstitutional, Katie, you'll get that money back. That's right. Evergreengk.com. I don't want to mention that I was 0 for 3. Uh, I thought I was on a roll these last few quizzes. Don't forget Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. And once again, it's great to be joined by John Waterstrat, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions, always a great sponsor title sponsor of our beat the boys
2: competition john how are you doing great mitch thanks for having me on
0: another football season is in the books and we know football season is synonymous with fireplaces and fireside home solutions but still some cold and damp months ahead john
2: yep there is definitely some cold damp months ahead and there's no better time to buy than these couple months Uh, february seems to always have a little bit of rain and we're getting those cold weathers Our, our lead times are down we want you to get those products into your home and keep you nice and cozy and warm. And also we have some great discounts coming. Soup to nuts. What's the time frame now? Right about two weeks. Installers are getting a little bit of our lead times down. So two weeks, we can get that product right into your house and no better time than now.
0: Allow me, John, to ask you the question I asked our other partners. How was 2022 for Fireside? The good and the challenges. What would you say?
2: Oh, if I look back on that, you know, stock definitely being one of those big issues that we had. But again, we, we were blessed with just great customers and being able to get those fireplaces in and be able to stock products that we needed to and people being patient with us and uh, really thankful to have a great year this year.
0: So if you could snap your fingers and accomplish a few specific goals in 2023, besides your Seahawks winning the Super Bowl, what would they be for Fireside Home Solutions, John?
2: Five-star service to all our customers, but most importantly is keep our lead times down. You know, we want to be able to help as many customers as we can out there, and lead times are important, you know, to get through customers, just like if you're at any kind of restaurant or anything, you want to be able to get to those customers as soon as possible, and like I said, I think stock will be better this coming year. We want to keep our lead times down so we can accomplish a lot next year.
0: I can genuinely say, that Mitch Unfiltered would not be where we are four and a half years later without our terrific sponsor, John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, literally the title sponsor of every audience contest that we do on the podcast. So begin your search for a new fireplace at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. Okay, episode 229,
1: the other stuff segment, Hotshot Scott. I hate to say it, but I, I think Jackson Mahomes might be a little shithead. Oh, God. No? Why do you hate to say it? I don't know him. You I mean, should he's be a... proud
0: to say it. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. And you think you should be proud
1: and you should know Yeah. he is the all-time douchebag. He is, right? Oh, my God. I mean, he's under an investigation in Kansas oh. City for alleged sexual assault, which, oh. of course, happens to be caught on tape, like everything in life.
0: Everybody around Patrick Ugh. Mahomes is kind of not likable.
1: Yeah, except and for yet, Patrick, he, right? He's <laughs> the nicest guy on the face of the earth. <laughs> right. Maybe
0: that's why he does this. Yeah. Maybe he figures Maybe. If, I, if I surround myself with, with
1: knuckleheads, yeah. I'll, I'll look good in comparison and maybe the brother just can't handle his brother getting oh, all the attention I, and I, 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 I
0: can't even t- i can't even mention the guy's name i don't even want to yeah. talk about that okay brother. all right moving yeah. on
1: <laughs> are you relieved yes
0: michael jordan has given the stamp of approval
1: <laughs> yes the weirdest story of all time i can't take this hey, there's definitely times when michael and his wife went on dates with scotty and his wife right like don't know. I, I mean, I, I you, know there know. were times they didn't get along, but yeah, they, they definitely hung out at some point, a party, or... Yeah. And now his son's hanging. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's so weird. Sorry, go ahead. Who is it weird for? Well, I think it's weird for Michael, and... and How about Scotty? Well, that goes without saying, yes, of <laughs> course.
0: Whenever his ex-wife is now dating the son of the legendary teammate of mine that I don't like very much anymore
1: your your teammate like yeah Yeah, I don't even like him very much I mean Scotty probably remembers this kid in the locker room as a baby she's 16 years older (sighs) than Marcus Jordan but
0: she says (laughs) that we have been given Michael's full approval for our relationship. In fact, Michael hangs out with us. Uh, m- Mom,
1: Dad, this is Larza. <laughs> we know. We've known her for 25 years. <laughs> like, okay, we know who she is. You don't have to introduce us. Uh, God, that thing is just so weird.
0: But are you relieved that he got the approval? That Marcus and well, Lars got the approval? Sure, now I can sleep. I mean,
1: I've been up all night thinking about it every single night.
0: Poor Scotty Pippen. Poor I little know. Pippen.
1: First of all, he's pissed he didn't get the he thought we thought he should have got more money than he yeah, did. Yeah. He didn't like the documentary. No. And now he's got his ex dating somebody like 20 years younger than him, and maybe yeah. more, maybe 30 years younger. And it's Michael Jordan's and son. Michael Jordan's son. Yeah. The guy can't stay out of Scotty's life. Do you
0: know the name Sauce Gardner?
1: Sauce Gardner sounds very familiar.
0: You should know. We've talked about him on this podcast okay. a lot. Okay. So, you can't come up a with lot. A, re- a lot.
1: A lot. Sauce Gardner.
0: Sauce Gardner is the reigning NFL defensive rookie of the year. Oh, the defensive right. back for the New York Jets. Yeah, right, right, right yeah. You know Sauce Gardner. Yeah. He was a first-round draft choice, and he, uh, he edged out our guy, Tariq Woolen, yep. for defensive player of the year of the NFL. Well, now that the Combine has come back a year later, he was asked, what was the weirdest team interview you had last year <laughs> yeah. at the Combine? And he didn't hesitate. Would you like to oh. to take a guess at who who was the weirdest, the most awkward interview he had at the combine last
1: year? Guessing it's the Seahawks, and in particular Pete. I, I, <laughs> I told you I sat in a room with Pete and his daughter and a couple of other people because I introduced him at one of his book things and. Yeah. Weird. Just (laughs) wouldn't look up from his phone, was playing this game all frantically, and he wouldn't talk to me or look at me. And he was just, everything about him was just awkward and weird. So I'm not surprised. Well, that was the exact
0: opposite dynamic with Sauce Gardner that made it weird. Well, he must've been all over him. Sauce Gardner says, quote, I remember my Seahawks interview and meeting. (laughs) It was the most uncomfortable one. He indicated that Pete Carroll sat so close to him (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And that when he asked him what he looked for in a receiver while playing defense, multiple times Sauce Gardner says I started to tell him and he would cut me off. Yeah. and talk himself. I, I he never it. let me finish my comment. I believe it. And he sat right up
1: right up next to me in my face. Remember he took his shirt off for DK? Yeah. I mean, I've I'm not. kind of I'm, funny. I'm not opposed to having fun, but yeah, I could see him being like a little, just a little too into the players. You know what I mean? I could I could definitely understand what he's saying about Sauce that. Sauce
0: says that was weird.
1: <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. Uh, your buddy, John Morant. Oh, God. I feel like he needs somebody in his life to like... Something. Like me this or you really, be... This is really a shame, actually. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like... It's one thing after the
0: next. Lots <laughs> of trouble.
1: So he appeared to brandish a gun while filming a selfie video on social media. And now the NBA says it's investigating it all. It's unclear if the gun was real or not real. And he's since come out and apologized, but it's like. He's uh, taking a leave
0: of absence from the team for at least the next two games. This was an Instagram live session. Yeah. He went live at 519 a.m. What kind of live Instagram sessions? What things happen on live Instagram yeah. sessions at 519 a.m.?
1: Nothing good. In
0: a nightclub with a gun. Yeah. This is the, the third or fourth thing in a line of problems that he's had. Remember, the Washington Post published a story this past week about two other incidents involving Morant. This summer, a 17-year-old boy alleged that Moran emerged from his house with a gun in his waistband and his hand on the weapon after a fight between him and the boy in a pickup basketball game, and I think he pummeled him. Yeah, we
1: talked about that. Yeah, he punched the kid in the face like 12 times. Yeah, he said like, "Should I do it? Should I do it?" or something. Yeah, yeah but then this this whole gun thing. This w- is new. This is kind of new. This yeah, is new. there
0: was another incident with a confrontation oh, with a a mall security guard in a parking lot. Oh. So. This is one of the the preeminent NBA superstars. I mean, he he had a chance and still does have a chance to become like the game's greatest megastar. And yet, you get the feeling that maybe it's upbringing and maybe where he grew up and yeah. who he grew up around, and just not good. Just like not his, good. It's not looking good for John Moran.
1: The only one that'll stop him is him, right? Kind of guy. Yes, they said that about John Jones. I know you don't watch UFC. I don't either, no. but I, I know who, he's like the greatest whoever like UFC fighter ever. And that's what they said about him. The only one that yeah. can stop him is him. And it, I hate to say it. It might be the case with Ooh. John Moran, but he's a talent. He is such a talent. All right. When you gotta go, you gotta go. And that's exactly what one adorable pooch did while performing during the halftime performance yeah, of the college I saw basketball that. game. At
0: Louisville. Yes. At Louisville, who's had a shit season.
1: <laughs> yes. It was sort of indicative of how that's gone. They're four and twenty-six under their new coach Kenny Payne, yes. and it was their third consecutive log and log. Third consecutive loss. <laughs> And the dog went out there and, <laughs> sh- I think, showed how everyone oh, felt in okay. that stadium for Louisville. Hot
0: shot, the ratings are in. Were you a ratings looker at Cube 93? With those bonuses? Hell Did yeah! Did you love to look at the ratings? Oh, I obsessed with How about TV?
1: You know anything about TV ratings? Like, that used to be the Nielsen? The Nielsen, Nielsen yeah, yeah television rating. I never got bonuses for those, so no.
0: The ratings are out from last weekend in uh, in sports television. Okay. I'll have you know, it was the first ever Live Golf event. That was on TV. We talked about it a couple of months ago. They signed oh. a contract with the CW network. Do you know what the? <laughs> you, what are you laughing? Yes, I. Do you know the? C- I don't know the CW
1: network. Yeah, it's
0: yeah. Okay, well the CW network <laughs> signed a deal with Live. Everybody was talking about how Live Golf finally found a place to put their. G- well, the ratings are out. Would you like to hear what their ratings were for the week, the first
1: week's tournament? Sure, they killed it.
0: They got a zero point zero eight average household rating. Sounds a little bit like KJR's ratings when I was there. Um, uh, Just to give you a sense, that 0.08 rating, another CW program called the World's Funniest Animals. (laughs) I like that show. (laughs) Received a 0.2. Oh, wow. Which is two and a half times larger than Live Golf got on the CW network. The PGA was in Los Angeles the same week. They got a 1.8 Rating, Which is 23 times the audience of the first ever live tournament broadcast on TV in Mayacoba, Mexico, a 0.08. And by the way, on that broadcast, not that you would have seen it. Yeah, not that anybody had seen it because we were all watching the world's funniest animals at the time. On that very broadcast, you know the name David Faraday. Oh, sure. The Irish guy? Yeah, he's now on the Live Golf. Oh, is he? I didn't know he made the jump. He made the jump. He
1: made the jump. He's the voice of Tiger Woods Golf on the Xbox. Yes, he sure is.
0: Uh, He was in the broadcast booth. Nobody saw this, of course, so I'm going to tell you what he said. Okay. Quote, Greg Norman changed the way the game is seen. And he changed the game back in the 80s and 90s when he was playing. He was the most recognizable athlete on the planet. When he was playing in the 80s and
1: 90s. On the planet? Eh, There might have been a basketball player who was a tad more recognizable.
0: A couple of football
1: players. maybe (laughs) A bowler.
0: Maybe a baseball player. (laughs) Greg Norman, according to David Faraday, was the most recognizable athlete on the planet in the 1980s. Calm down. Calm
1: down, David. By
0: the way, 80% of our audience would say, he's not even an athlete
1: doesn't even register as an athlete he's a golfer <laughs> yeah true Muhammad Ali was retired then he was still much more recognizable <laughs> well, I have a feeling than Greg, Greg Norman, Norman. <laughs> that's hilarious oh. I guess I guess he knows where his bread is buttered as they say right I mean Greg Norman is a big part of that and you got he's right in the paychecks yeah. and David Faraday is is his new puppet after those ratings you better yeah. make sure those <laughs> don't bounce they're not gonna bounce okay well yeah they got some money behind them yeah, i guess don't yeah, they yeah. all right you know taylor lewin in, in between killing people yes yes the tennessee titans yes
0: uh tackle who's just recently retired
1: well yeah. he he was released
0: well he, he, yeah, he, he may have subsequently
1: retire. retired yeah but the nine-year vet says the team savagely dropped off his football equipment on his front porch
0: in garbage
1: bags in garbage bags he yes. posted a picture on, on twitter showing three garbage yes. bags on his doorstep he said, shout out to the Titans dropping my stuff off today. They even let me keep the shoulder pads. <laughs> that part made me laugh. He spent his entire career with Tennessee, but he didn't pass a physical. And they just said, they didn't even say it. They just dropped his shit off and turned off his key card. So thank you for your service. The NFL is considering three major rules changes, Hot Shots. Wow. Okay. I want to know.
0: I'm down for all three. You are. Okay. I want to know which of the three you like and which of the three you don't like. Ready? Yep. Number one. They are considering, believe it or not, the XFL's alternative to the onside kick. We've talked about this before. The onside kick, which works like one every 50 times. Yeah. Kind of feels like I'm always watching the game that it works, but uh, they say the onside onside kick never works. Instead of the onside kick, one play, fourth and 15 from your own 25. That's right. We did talk about that. We kind of like that. The XFL does it. The NFL is looking at it. Do you like that? So you're... You're two touchdowns down with 57 seconds to go. Okay. You're out of timeouts. You score a touchdown. You kick the extra point. You're down seven. With 37 seconds, no timeouts. Right. What are you going to do? You're going to kick an onside kick.
1: And the hands team gets it every time. Right.
0: Instead of that with 37 or 40 or 50 seconds to go and no timeouts, you tell the r- officials, we're going to do the alternative, which was we're going to put the ball at the 25, our own 25, mm-hmm. fourth and 15. We got to get to the 40 on one play. If we make it, we continue. If we miss it, they get the ball right there and presumably they just get on a knee and run yep. out the clock. You like it. I like it. You want it? Of course. It really changes. It does. I mean, it's a... I love the idea. It's just, wow. It's a radical change to the NFL. It feels XFL-ish. It feels USFL-ish. It doesn't yeah. feel prestigious. It, it just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a
1: yeah it doesn't feel like the rest of the game. No,
0: it just there's something it, it feels
1: very tricked up, but I still like it. I like it too. I, f- I'm still down for it. I mean if, if a team can somehow complete a 15yard pass and pick it up, that's that's pretty damn impressive. I mean that's pretty long. Well think
0: about think about um how often a team converts on fourth and 15. I don't know the numbers, but somebody has the numbers in the NFL headquarters, and that's why they've come up, or that's why whoever it is in football has come up with the 4th and 15 play. How often do you think out of 10, a team converts on 4th and 15? You think
1: two or three times out of 10? Clearly more than the team recovers the onside kick, right? Yes, Yeah. definitely that. 4th and 15? and 15. Geno to DK over the middle for 15? Yeah. I mean, it's a passing league, so probably maybe more than we think, right? I mean... Maybe. Yeah. No, I, right. I like it. Okay, what are the other ones?
0: The other ones, um, this is not a huge one, but they want to activate three quarterbacks on game day. There's been a lot of discussion about how only two quarterbacks have been active on game day, and then you get into the playoffs, the Eagles game against the 49ers where their oh, quarterbacks right. both get hurt, and they have to start bringing in, like, Christian McCaffrey to play quarterback in the mm-hmm. NFC Championship game, right, or yeah. one of the big games. So there's this been movement to say, okay, enough, enough. Let's activate three quarterback, have three quarterbacks able to play on game day. Okay, I'm fine with that. I can live with that, that. yeah. And then the roughing the passer. Okay. Making it a
1: reviewable, challengeable play. I've seen some really bad ones, really bad ones that just look like a clean football hit, and they get... So I think I'm down for that one, too. Yeah. All three. That's good. I mean, how many challenges just... Do you have to challenge it or does the the ref can just look at it whenever he wants? Don't know. Don't know
8: the
0: answer. They're just now talking about it. So they probably have proposals on the table for a lot of different ways. Yeah. And then the other question is, are we only reviewing the ones that they're called?
1: Or are we reviewing plays where it's not called and it kind of looks like it should be called? I see. Yeah. Yeah. So there's discussion. will have anyway. to work that out. Okay. I like it. Okay. A Virginia girls high school basketball coach snapped at a spectator during a game last week, oh, no. climbing into the stands to grab and shove the man. And of course, the wild outburst was all captured on video. If you'd like to see an old basketball coach grabbing a fan by the neck, Looks like he wants to kill him at a oh. high school girls' basketball game. I saw so.
0: him leap Oh, He kind of leaps over oh. the bench as the chair. Did you see? Pretty
1: you, agile for a sixty-five year old fella. And and that guy was not a small
0: guy that he approached. By the way, for
1: sure. I was thinking the same. I was going to get his ass kicked. I was waiting for the old guy to take one right in the face. But yeah, the guy the guy didn't. He kept it together. Oh. One quick one here. Dodgers yeah. infielder. K or Kihei Hernandez. Kihei Hernandez. He admitted he crapped himself on the field during a 2020 playoff game. Hernandez's teammate, Justin Turner, who reunited with him in Boston, um, he asked him for the most embarrassing moment during a Major League Baseball game. He said he was taking antibiotics for a tooth infection a few years back. And one of the side effects of the medicine was... You guessed it, diarrhea. Oh, boy. I was DH'ing and I thought I farted. Oh, God. Do we have to do this? Hey, these are his words. Yeah, we don't have to go to his words. I went out to lead off the inning. I struck out in three pitches. When I went to the dugout, I went straight to the bathroom, pulled my pants down, completely (laughs) sharted. I don't know why he's telling us. We really this. have to
0: do this. So you're saying you misjudged. Two twenty nine was going so well.
1: There was. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. okay. He said. Uh, so his, his teammate said. So you're telling me you misjudged? He said. I, what I'm saying is, I shipped my pants during okay. a playoff All game.
0: Right. <laughs> you could have stopped after the second <laughs> line. It would have been enough. I love
1: it. I love that he admitted that. Good for him. I have a flurry. Go ahead. Of things.
0: Um, NBA considering a fairly radical overtime change. They don't want their players to play a full overtime anymore, so they're going to set a target score. Adam Silver is considering, okay, so it's 107-107 going overtime. Maybe they make it 115. First to
1: 115 wins, as opposed to playing a full overtime period. But you know what will happen then. They'll never get there. For whatever reason. Yes, they will. They'll never get to to that score.
0: He wants... uh, Players to not have to play overtime sessions when they're taking days off anyway to play, you know, for load management. He's trying to help players. Okay. Yeah, um, Jimmy Haslam, you know the name, the Cleveland Browns yeah. owner. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a another douchebag. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Haslam is buying twenty five percent of the Milwaukee Bucks, which is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Okay, he's going to become a minority owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. Here's why it's interesting: A, I didn't get the feeling that any NFL owners like him. Right. He did the deal with Deshaun Watson. He was the subject of some real serious allegations. He and in his, in his business, all of a sudden, Jimmy Haslam is being welcomed into the NBA as a minority owner of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Greek freak anyway. He's going to spend 875 million hotshots for 25% of the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, why is that important? Well, that values the team then at 3.5 billion. And I'll ask you the question. Remember when everybody made fun of Steve Ballmer <laughs> yeah. for for spending two billion on the LA Clippers? That's just about eight or ten years ago. Yeah. It's not like forty years ago. Now the Milwaukee Bucks are right. worth three and a half billion. And it's also interesting because you know you know who is a one percent owner of the Milwaukee Bucks? Who? Aaron Rodgers. Really? Owns one percent of the Milwaukee Bucks, which would mean, at this valuation, his one percent is worth thirty five million dollars.
1: Yeah, good for him. And he's dating the owner's daughter. Guns- yeah, one of the owner's daughters. Another perk, sure. yes. Yeah.
0: Gonzaga's uh, star forward, Drew Timmy. Ever heard of him? Oh, sure. He has decided he's leaving school after this year. He's not going to play next year. Good. Which has all of us saying the same thing, which which is, wait. You could have played
1: another year? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it does feel like he's been there How forever. long have you been oh, there? The God. guy is 37. He does look like he's 37. For God's sake. I know. He's like Rick Fox, who just never left North Carolina. Vanessa Bryan and L.A. County have settled out of court.
0: The family will receive $29 million for the pictures that they took, Ugh. the snapshots that they took of her husband and daughter in the plane crash, the helicopter crash, and then they showed them around at oh, bars sure, and everything yeah. else. It's going to cost L.A. County twenty-nine. Million dollars. There's a weird story out of San Francisco, where a radio host Uh-oh. named Jeffrey Vandergrift has been missing for several days. And now his wife says she doesn't believe he'll ever return. The San Francisco Police Department released an alert last Friday that announced that Vandergrift, a wild ninety four point nine on air personality hey, we used to be there. We used had to be on not this really. Yeah had not been seen since 10 p.m. the previous night. The department also said Vandergrift was considered at risk. On this past Wednesday, his wife, Natasha Yi shared that personal information that had recently been discovered leads us to believe that my husband will never be coming back. It's kind of cryptic. What does that mean? I don't know. That's why I'm reading it on the show. I have no idea no further that, questions no, for her. That's, that's just where
1: it ends. He's not. He's not coming back. Not coming back. Not coming back to Earth. To the house. Not to back. me. Not coming back. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? So weird. <laughs> very very weird. Yes. R.I.P.s. Uh, yes. Quick update on Willie McGinnis first. Okay. Remember we did that story. Oh, yeah,
0: he's facing a long time in. In jail, isn't I he? told you when it
1: happened. It looked awful. It awful, yeah. But, it, like, one guy was holding him, or a couple yeah. guys were holding Like, it wasn't, yeah. like, any two guys can lose their temper. And get a- yeah. This looked premeditated. just looked awful. But he's been charged with two felonies. So the L.A. Dist- District County Attorney's Office filed the charges, hitting him with one count of assault with a deadly weapon and one count of assault by means of force, likely to cause great bodily injury. And each charge carries up to four years in prison. He'll be uh, arraigned in April for that, so... I hate to say good, but, dude, that was awful what we saw. I mean, come on, Willie McGinnis.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and he was a broadcaster, I think. Well, yeah, he he carved
1: out like a nice Nice career career after his playing days. Like, what are you doing, dummy? RIPs. Uh, I have three. How many do you have? I have three.
0: Are they the same three? What are the chances? There's no way they're the same three. They're not. They can't be. Uh, One of them is definitely the same, and two of them. I think you've got one of mine, and you don't have two of the others. Oh, really? Yes. I think the one that you have is Tom Sizemore. Yes, I have that. Died of a stroke, brain aneurysm, The relic, Strange Days, Private riding, Save It, Private Ryan, Did Black Hawk
1: it? Down, Black he Hawk was, Down. He was like a, years old. He was a can't miss for a while. I mean, he was like a big time, you know, A minus list actor. Played like a like a hard ass or a bad guy, a tough yeah. guy. You know. Had really. a, Had troubles, though, away from the (sighs) screen, right? He had some troubles, yes, uh, later in life. But yeah, he suffered from a brain aneurysm at his home and collapsed and lost consciousness. 61 years old for him. Okay.
0: I have two others that you don't have, so go ahead.
1: Mama Blue.
0: Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. She's not on my list, but yeah, Mama Blue, the old Seahawks. I didn't even know she was still alive, the Seahawks fan. Yeah,
1: 91 years old. Really? Yeah. And she was at every single... I can picture her, yeah. With they, the blue they, wig. They always put her
0: on NFL films.
1: They're always it was NFL films. always the films. cutaway. Yep. The cutaway from like Kurt Warner making a great play or Steve Largent. That's they right. They cut away to Mama Blue. Always, always her. Always, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly where she sat. She was yeah. in the end zone. I can yeah. picture it because she had season tickets, I think, starting in 76 like my grandma did. Yeah. So when I'd go to the games, I'd see her down there. I know exactly where her seats were. She even was at Lumen, you know, the new stadium for a while. And she was just, you know, through the good and the bad. She never wavered. I mean, she ain't no... Johnny tw- come lately 12. She was there from 76, man. Right so. from the beginning. Rest in peace to Mama Blue, 91 years old. And? My other ones? Yeah. Uh, oh, other one. Linda Kasabian. Don't know who she is? Not on my list. You really don't know that name? No. Linda Kasabian. Yeah, she's her trial helped send Charles Manson and several oh. of his cult members to oh. prison for life. Now, we talked last time about how sometimes the Northwest sort of sticks its nose into these national stories she died in a Tacoma, Washington hospital of all places. <laughs> I know. Like, I read that. I was like, really? She was in Tacoma? Anyway, she passed away on January 21st. I don't know why we're just now hearing about it, but okay. uh, her cause of death was not disclosed. But yeah, she was the main reason why Charles and, and all those people went away. She was involved, but claimed she never did any harm to anyone. And she actually drove them to the house the second night when the Folgers, you know, so she, they got her to turn on everyone. So she's the real reason why, why they how all old went was away. was she? Uh, She was, I want to say, 73 years old. old. And then Manson, of course, died in prison in uh, 2017. So I have two others that you don't have. Okay. Let's test your sports knowledge. Oh, why do we have to? Do you remember
0: the Ralph Sampson Virginia teams? Oh, of course. Yeah, sure. Who was the coach?
1: (sighs) I don't know.
0: His name was Terry Holland. Okay. Died at the age of 80, a 16-year coach of the Virginia Cavaliers. Everybody loved him. He coached my friend Wally Walker when mm. he was in Virginia. He coached Ralph Sampson. He, uh, he was 80 years old, and he struggled from Alzheimer's yeah. in the last years of his life. And the other RIP, who was the original owner of the Carolina Panthers? Who brought the Carolina Panthers into the NFL? Do you know? Huh. When they were an expansion team. Yeah, I'm, I know. I can't come up with that. I don't know. Jerry Richardson, 86 ah, years old. Okay. The original owner of the Panthers, you recall that in uh, in December of 2017, he put the Panthers up for sale in the wake of an investigation into workplace misconduct. The allegations mm. against him the NFL kind of forced him out of the league. David yeah. Tepper bought the team, but uh, Richardson brought them into the league and he passed away at the age of 86.
1: Rest in peace.
0: Which brings us To headlines, none of which can be as bad as crap in your pants. Oh, you just wait.
1: Hold my beer. (laughs) A stripper is facing a domestic battery charge after allegedly striking her ex-boyfriend in the head with a large amount of rolled up money. The woman was promptly fired as it's against the rules to shoot your wad in a club. The world's oldest known sex toy might have been used by Romans I'm nearly 2,000 years ago. A theme. <laughs> the oldest known sex toy was used 2,000 years ago by Romans. Man, really? I had no idea Ron Jeremy was that old. Although he does look it if you've seen him lately in court. Holy shit. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee signed into law a bill that prohibits drag performances from taking place in public spaces or around minors. It's high time someone put a stop to the enormous body count at drag story time. By the way, uh, there's a great picture of our friend Bill Lee dressed like a woman from his high school yearbook if you'd like to see it for yourself. Really? Absolutely. (laughs) Of course there is. Just take you two seconds to go ahead and look that up. You know, he oh, who God. who doth protest a tad too much. Uh, uh, all right. And finally, a man lost in Amazon for a month says he ate worms and drank his own urine to survive. Holy cow. Jeff Bezos works his employees hard. <laughs> I feel like you saw that one coming in a, in a cab <laughs> down First Avenue, bright I yellow. Did. I, did. <laughs> I didn't say the Amazon. I said Amazon. Yes. Okay. You got another game to go to? Uh, they lost. So no, I okay. They were down eight Are we talking basketball or softball? No, it's basketball Okay. They were down eight before half Two Lake Washington okay. Down eight With two seconds left Piper Three It's good They're down five at half With no time on the clock It was pretty cool They're down five at half. They lose by like 17. That was it. They just got boat raced in the second half. So they're off to the state tournament where they will not be winning it like last year. That is my prediction. They are not winning state this year, but I will be in Spokane. Only one team is winning state this year. Only one is, and it's not going to start with an I. That I can tell you. Come say hi to me in Spokane.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, there you go.
1: Wasn't very good, but <laughs> but hey, we'll give them their money back if they didn't like it, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> you get what
0: you pay for. <laughs> Episode two hundred and twenty-nine. In hi Barry, in the books. I think.